Hello, everybody, and welcome to Turn to Page, Season 3, Book 4, Sherlock Holmes Solo Mysteries, The Crown versus Dr. Watson. I feel like I actually just introduced a, um, like an audiobook <laughs> there. Mm -hmm. That was the most, like, I Written felt like a bot. Gerald Lintz, Chapter 1. <laughs> Content editing by, uh, no. Uh, it's book number four, the one that we thought was the last book but mm. but mask ripped off it's not we were wrong there was just four on the website that we found them on <laughs> but mm -hmm. there's there's technically eight books but one of them is not in english it's only in french and um do you know how to speak french raps uh, no oh mixed signals <laughs> interesting <laughs> uh, non me parler français uh okay uh so we actually are going to be reading that one too then <laughs> mm, excellent uh <laughs> there are eight of the books if you are french or seven if you read english so yeah so we're we're gonna we're gonna read the seven <laughs> instead but uh the crown versus dr watson i didn't think that was out yet Mmm, I, I, I didn't know they were doing crossovers this ambitious at this point. Like, I know Alien versus Predator, but, like, one of these is a Netflix series. Wait, Alien versus Predator versus Sherlock Holmes? Versus The Crown versus Dr. Watson? <laughs> versus The Crown versus Dr. Watson <laughs> featuring Knuckles. All right. <laughs> Plus Knuckles, sorry. Uh, I mean, I'm ready to get into it. I'm ready to sink my it. teeth into a mystery. Especially, it, it feels like over the course of these, uh, Holmes and Watson are becoming much more involved in the core crime. So I do worry <laughs> yeah. if the last one is going to be like, Sherlock killed Watson. Yeah, and it's going to be in French, so we won't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. The perfect crime. Murder oh. someone in French. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, wait, so do we? Yeah, we do the prologue on these. Yes, we do. Yes, that sets up our scene. Ooh, wait. We actually, the introductory note seems pertinent potentially as well, I guess. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. An introductory note. In this case, the player detective is a former Baker Street irregular who, inspired by Sherlock Holmes, acquired enough education to become a detective in a small way himself. So we actually have backstory on who our character is now. Hmm. The case is set in early 1894. Two and a half years ago, the player read the shocking news of Sher Sherlock Holmes's death in an accident in Switzerland. News confirmed recently when Dr. Watson published the story, The Final Problem, which described the circumstances of Holmes's death. Though aware of his own inferior skills, the player tries to fight crime in London in the tradition of his great mentor. What? Wow. You have a pocket knife, a notebook, a pencil, and 30 shillings to four pounds in cash. You may now begin your investigation. Enter these items in your character record. Good luck. The game is afoot. We fight crime with uh -huh. a pocket knife. This was... What a turn. I mean, he can't be dead. Surely Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We're going to discover him over the course of this. He will be the murderer in disguise. <laughs> But it will have been a good murder, yes, actually, yes. and it's fine. Yes. So we don't have to report it. He killed, he murdered another murderer, and he needed to fake his own death to, I don't know, 
work on his acting get away from moriarty <laughs> oh it's always moriarty yeah or at least so the recent sherlock's have said yeah just more and moriarty <laughs> prologue <laughs> roaming london one brisk winter morning you decide to stop at the store operated by wiggins former chief of baker street irregulars and read the morning papers your old leader and friend greets you cheerfully, then points to a story headlined on several papers. At his urging, you read several accounts of a murder in the Three Continents Club. You see that Sir Terence Milton, a noted businessman with interests in many corners of the Empire, was the victim. Well, no arrest has been made, Inspector Alec MacDonald of the Scotland Yard reports that The police are pursuing inquiries carefully. And an arrest can be expected shortly, as soon as the police have verified all aspects of the case. You sigh a little. Eh, they probably have the killer behind bars now, Wiggins. You say? If Mr. Holmes was still with us in London. Eh, perhaps. He answers? And perhaps not. One of my mates on the force stopped by to tell me something of case. He said that the evidence points like a knife straight at Dr. Watson, Mr. Holmes's old friend. In a case that, like that, Mr. Holmes might not have wanted to find the proof to send his best mate for an old date with Jack Ketch. Dr. Watson? You say in astonishment? How could anyone suspect him of committing a crime? He's a well-known writer and successful doctor. My mate has evidence that was so convincing that he would have been arrested by now, except that Mr. Inspector MacDonald refused <laughs> to do it. He worked with most, uh, both uh, Mr. Holmes and Dr. Watson, you know. Dr. Mr. Inspector McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> My Esquire. man keeps getting qualifications. Yeah, uh, MD. Uh, after talking for a few more minutes, you return to your lodgings. There you're amazed to find a note from Mycroft Holmes, brother of the late detective, asking you to visit him at his rooms in Pall Mall. Naturally, you hurry out to answer his summons. Mycroft admits to you his... Wait, admits you to his rooms. Admits he has a room. He is a large, heavily built <laughs> do man. Do you have a room? I do! It's where I sleep! I swear to me! <laughs> I do! It's where I go nigh-nigh! Alright. In spite of being much heavier, you can see a strong resemblance between him and his late brother, Sherlock. He thanks you for your prompt response and explains that renovations in his offices have made it necessary for him to take a few days away from his work for the government. He then introduces you to his other guests, Inspector Alec MacDonald of the Scotland Yard. So, you want me to look into the Milton murder? You say boldly, hoping to make an impression on the men. You may be right, Mr. Holmes. MacDonald laughs. <laughs> the young man's technique puts me in mind of your brother. It was hardly a brilliant deduction. Mycroft answers. As every newspaper in the city reported that you were an officer in charge of the investigation. But, uh, why do you want me? You ask. If I read those papers correctly, you expect to make an arrest shortly. I do, lad, and more's the pity. MacDonald answers. I've looked into the matter as carefully as I can, and all the evidence ties a rope around one neck. And there's the rub. Mr. MacDonald believes that the evidence points to Dr. Sherlock... Dr. John Watson, <laughs> rather. Sherlock's old friend and comrade. 
He adopted his name after his passing. (laughs) (laughs) He took it in honor of one of the greatest men he knew. (laughs) Uh, Mycroft interrupts. I find it difficult to believe that he would commit murder. And for the sake of my brother, I want to see the case investigated by an independent pair of eyes. If poor Sherlock was still here with us, I'm sure he'd clear the doctor soon enough. (laughs) That may be so. MacDonald laughs. And I wish Mr. Holmes were still in London. For a while, he showed our foolishness often enough, but he also seized many a scoundrel. But if you are interested in investigating this matter, he adds, turning to you, I will give you an outline of the evidence. Uh, Certainly, sir. You answer? I understand the killing occurred in the Three Cantons Club. Aye, that it did. Not two blocks from where we're sitting. The inspector answers. There were not many men in the club last night. Only a few kept in the city by business. Four of them, Sir Terence Milton, Dr. Watson, Mr. Christopher Marshall, and Mr. Thomas Martin spent the hours after supper playing a game of whist. When Dr. Watson and Mr. Marshall won the decisive rubber with a slam in the last hand, Sir Terence accused Dr. Watson of cheating saying he must have learned the finer art of card playing in his days in the wilds of America and Australia. Well, of course, Dr. Watson is no man to take such as a suggestion, as you may well know, and they shouted at Sir Terence, accusing him of cheating many a man through his crooked companies. I understand that Dr. Watson lost a considerable sum of Sir Terence's latest company, the Ivory Coast Mining Venture, failed. The police have been looking closely into that company since its fall. Well, since Sir Terence answered by suggesting that Dr. Watson had spent less time showing certain singer the sights of London and more time studying the prospectus, he wouldn't have made a high-risk venture for a safe and sound investment. That's all he was said. The inspector concludes. For Dr. Watson put his fist between Sir Terence's eyes at this point and stretched him out on the carpet. What's that about a woman? Mycroft asks. You didn't mention that before. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. I must have forgot. MacDonald answers. According to his friend Marshall, Watson had been seeing quite a lot of one of the singers performing at the prison hall in Piccadilly. Uh, Nothing wrong with that, of course. The doctor's wife died more than a year ago. Mycroft nods heavily. Uh, Sherlock always said that Watson had the expertise where women were concerned, and it's gotten him properly into trouble this time. He thinks a moment and turns to you. You must investigate the scene of the crime and interview the witnesses. I have a friend, Captain Locke of the Provost's office, who is very familiar with the nightlife in London. I will ask him to investigate this woman, but go on. Inspector MacDonald, continue your description of the events at the club. Thank you! Well, the other members broke up the fight, and a little after nine o'clock, before rather nine o'clock, Sir Terence went upstairs. Watson went up a little later and sat in the billiard room to have a drink and settle his temper, or so he says. He left the room about 9.30, and a servant went in to immediately fetch the empty glass and tidy things. The servant found Sir Terence lying in the corner with his head smashed in. He says no one else could have entered the room after Watson left. He ran screaming out in the hall, and all the other members were in, and then they summoned us. The case looked very clear-cut to us. 
Watson was the only man in the room. He just argued with Milton. He had a good deal of other reasons to hate Milton, as his bogus company cost the doctor a great deal of investment capital. According to Marshall and the others, Watson had been having a hard go of it lately between the death of Mr. Holmes and his wife and all sorts of financial problems. His medical practice suffered badly while his wife was sick. He's lost his outside income and can no longer write about Mr. Holmes. It was the weapon, Dr. Watson's. You ask? No, anyone in the room could have used it. MacDonald answers. The killer used the poker from the fireplace. The fire had just burned low, and it was a little bit surprising that Watson didn't look for the poker to stir it up, but less surprising if he'd just used the poker to kill a man. And uh, what does what Dr. Watson say he was doing in the room for the half hour he was just in there? He says he had just sat by the fire, drinking his brandy and reading the newspaper. McDonald answers. He claims he was shocked enough to realize that there was a dead man in the corner for the entire period of time. You nod, trying to think of holes in this argument. If you ask McDonald more questions, turn to 159, otherwise 443. Mm. So we, we should ha- keep in mind, yeah. we don't need to use it in this instance, but yes. in the last book, there was very clear evidence that asking more questions was sometimes a way to gain red herrings where we otherwise could have gotten clues. Yes. And also even some, I think, some points where we just wasted time and some, like, a time limit ran out and we couldn't mm-hmm. get information because of that. So there, I don't think that that's going to be here. No, definitely not. I think this is an appropriate instance <laughs> yeah. to ask more questions. The briefing on the murder, perhaps most important time to get briefed. So, yeah, 159, let's ask more questions. Excuse me, Inspector. You say after a few moments' thought. But could you answer a few questions before I begin my investigation? Certainly, McDonald replies. I'm pleased to give you any help I may, sir. I'd be pleased to find that my reasoning is misguided. If you ask him to discuss the timing of the murder more closely, turn to 418, otherwise 456. So what he said about the murder was that a little before 9 o'clock, so Terence went upstairs, Dr. Watson went up a little later, doesn't, doesn't specify, but then left the room around 9.30. So I, I think asking... How far is a little later? Like, could someone have theoretically killed and stashed Sir Terence in there in that period of time? Yeah. I think 418 just makes sense. Let's do it. You're certain, I gather, that the timing indicates that Watson is the killer? You ask? Why? Well, timing is often a major problem for us, sir. The inspector answers. Clocks vary, and men don't pay much attention to time because they don't know that a crime is taking place. But this time, the witnesses were certain. Sir Terence talked to a few of the men downstairs after the fight with Watson, and then looked up at the clock and hurried upstairs. The other men looked at the same time and remembered that it was a few minutes before nine, no more than three or four. Now, Dr. Watson took a glass of brandy from a waiter just before he headed upstairs, and that man remembers handing it to the doctor just at nine o'clock, because the clock was chiming. The doctor went straight upstairs, and there wasn't much deal of time for someone to kill Sir Terence and then leave the room. And there was no time at all between the time that Watson left the room and the other servant entered. I see. 
you say thoughtfully and pause to consider your next question. Check off clue A and pick a number and add your intuition. Which notably, since... Oh my god, I forgot our first name. Frank. Frank Lee. Since we are Frank Lee Everyman, we now have plus mm -hmm. one in all of our stats. Thank We do indeed. God. Not that it... <laughs> Not that, it, not that it matters here, because we got a four plus one, so he failed our first check, needing a seven, uh, but yeah. <laughs> Johnny Curbstop would have failed that too, so we had, they had the same intuition. Mm. So, failed intuition, 456. You carefully consider further questions. You wonder if it were possible for Watson to sit in his chair and not see the body. That's relatively important. If the chair has its back to where the body was stashed, it becomes certainly more likely. Uh, if you ask about it, 489, otherwise 135, I'm down. It is Let's interesting it. to note that the otherwises have been bringing us to different pages. Hmm. 489. Uh, Dr. Watson said he sat by a chair by the fire and read the paper. You say slowly, and McDonald nods. Did you check if, uh, you know, to see if a man could sit in that chair and get up from it without seeing the body? Yes, sir, I did. The inspector answers. And I must admit that it is possible. The dead man was lying in the corner with a billiard table between him and the door. But there was little table near the window that was knocked over. And I am certain that Watson would have set that upright. Any man would. And from there he would have had to have been a contortionist not to have seen the dead man. Do you know when that table was knocked over? You ask? No, I'm, no, I'm not certain. Check off clue C and turn to 135. Yeah, because the table could have been knocked over after just after it all happened. Wait, it could have been. I, I wonder if it could have been knocked over in the stumbling of a uh, a dying man. Yeah, 100%. It's a very grim matter. You say slowly, and both McDonald and Mycroft nod in agreement. I admit to my own doubts of Watson's innocence. Mycroft adds... But for Sherlock's sake, I must see that there is action beyond the usual police investigation. I hope you are a fit choice. As he and McDonald chat a little bit more, you wonder why Watson hasn't been arrested. If you ask McDonald this question, turn to 339, otherwise 152. I mean, should we skip this one, or...? Let's skip this one. I don't think we need to... Unless it's... But if they, like, hear it because there's plausible, like, plausible deniability... And we need that to check later. I am going to be bummed. Mm. I'm, I'm happy to try it or skip it. Oh, I feel like, okay, I, I feel like we're not going to get a red herring or a failure from something this early. So I kind of want to know. Sorry. 339. I, I jerked us both ways. 339. Uh, Inspector McDonald. You say, and he looks back towards you. If the evidence against uh, Dr. Watson is so formidable, why haven't you arrested him? The policeman looks embarrassed. Uh, oh, uh, well, sir. He answers. It may be a dereliction of my duty, but I have a difficult time arresting a man that I like. I convince my superiors that I should wait a little while to be thoroughly convinced by the evidence as uh, arrest would be so damaging to a man of his position. I cannot delay long, however. If you can't give me good cause to doubt my conclusions by tonight, I shall have to arrest Dr. Watson tomorrow. Pick a number and add intuition. 
I like the idea of like, if the evidence is so formidable against Dr. Watson, why haven't you arrested him? The policeman looks embarrassed. Well, sir, I forgot how. <laughs> <laughs> well, sir, three Sundays ago, I lost my handcuffs and I've been too embarrassed to mention it to the precinct so that they would issue me new ones. And then when I found them, wouldn't you know it, lifts up arms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, pick it up and add intuition. Need a six or higher. Well, we knocked that one out of the park. That's a 12. Woo! 21. <clears throat> You say the evidence will force you to arrest him. You say slowly. Do you believe that Watson committed this crime, Mr. McDonald? McDonald shakes his head. That is another reason why I have not arrested him. I know this man, and I cannot conceive of him committing murder. I especially cannot conceive of him killing a man and then sitting in the room for half an hour with the body grown cold. If Sir Terence had provoked or threatened him, Watson may well have killed the fellow, but he wouldn't have hit him over the back of the head with a poker. Then why arrest him at all? Wait, he he had his head cave head smashed in. Yeah, with a poker. From from a blunt trauma from a fireplace poker? Huh. Mm -hmm. I guess they can be kind of heavy. I guess yeah. Why? Well, yeah, I mean it's it's wrought steel, right? Wrought steel. Yeah, wrought it's true. I I think it's just the one that. Uh, I have in my head the one from my life, which was very, very flimsy. You'd have to do a lot of work to kill someone with that. Yeah. You come to think of it, that was a marshmallow poker for fires. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, I'm pretty sure it was a skewer, actually. Yeah. Um, okay. Then why arrest him at all? You reply. Because, sir, I am bound by law and evidence. McDonald answers. And the evidence points so squarely to Dr. Watson that in good conscience I could not do else. Nor would my superiors permit it. Mr. Lestrade accompanied me to the scene when we first heard of the murder. He adds. But as soon as we heard the outline of the evidence, he had to go home. Lestrade's lumbago flared up so the poor man could hardly move. But I understood, of course. Lestrade had been a friend of Dr. Watson for many years. With the circumstantial evidence so damning to Watson... Lestrade Lombago saved him from having to force himself to arrest his old friend. Turn to 152. Huh. Well, I'm just wondering if there's anything on that. Well, I mean, we know that Lestrade feels some sort of way around this. There's, there's an obvious explanation on the table, which is that he had a friendship with him. But I wonder if it's possible that he has uh, additional information and yeah. wanted to go and independently uh, work on the case to try and free Watson's name with information that only he has. Yeah. I. It feels like there's something else there is all. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 152, right? You consider other information that McDonald might provide. You wonder whether he can tell you anything useful about Sir Terence's character. What could be more relevant than reasons that might give motive to other murderers? 563. I've never met Sir Terence Milton. You say slowly. I can't really say I know that much about him. Can you tell me what sort of man he was? McDonald starts to shake his head and then stops. I, I can't talk now, he says slowly. When I was alive, I had to be careful to avoid an action for slander. Sir Terence promoted businesses, 
And at best, he didn't worry about whether the business was genuine or not. He had a pattern, sir. He would promote and sell out a small business that did very well, then attempt something quite big that failed. The last attempt was a big business, the Ivory Coast Mining Venture, and was so patently fraudulent that we investigate it closely in spite of Sir Terence's rank and family. Those who invested in it lost everything, a total of some £6,000. In short, Sir Terence was a crook. Mycroft adds, A crook and a mean-spirited <coughs> man! McDonald's can McDonald's <laughs> continues. <laughs> he was the sort of man that was not only dishonest to himself, but also believed that every other man was dishonest. He searches in his pockets. Oh, here, take this. He says, handing you a colorful flyer. This is the promotional sheet he had printed up for the Ivory Coast Company. The flyer is copied in paragraph 204. You can read it there whenever you wish. Check off clue D and turn to 443. That seems cool as hell. Let's go to 204 and check out this flyer before we continue. Yes. Uh, yeah. But 443 is where we're continuing to afterwards, which I'm going to note down. Just yeah. to... Oh, God, I forgot where the thing is. 204. 204. Well, I wrote that down too. Oh! 204, 443. So 204, 443, 204. Ah. <clears throat> the Ivory Coast Mining Venture. The Ivory Coast Mining Venture is the most promising speculative venture to be offered to the public in many a year. The legendary wealth of the Ivory Coast, known to have informed men, known to rather informed men for thousands of years, can now be exploited again. If you investors can share in this wealth, men willing to speak out and take a risk to win wealth, those who turn away, silent and cautious when the hour calls for daring, will never be great. The most daring men in Europe first journeyed to the Ivory Coast to trade for gold. The easy wealth of the slave trade distracted them from the tracing of the actual mines. Study of the most ancient documents has relocated these mines. The discovery has been confirmed by the native storyteller of local tribes, men who kept alive the history of their people, telling stories that have been passed down from father to son for hundreds of years. Come, you sons of England, marshal your courage for a new challenge. We, the managers of this company, know that any true man who has read this far will be more than willing to risk his money with us in this venture. Join us! Meet with us so that we can explain the details of this venture. A chance of this sort comes only once in your life. Sir Terence Milton, Chairman. Mr. Robert Cotton, Secretary. It is Robert. Write it down! Got him! Alright, 442. 443, I think. Oh, well, I want to go to prayer. Okay, fine. With enough wait, what? What? Uh, wait, are we sure? Because that does... It, 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 442 would be... Both of these could theoretically go from the other one. But maybe we should be certain about this. Because this would be a tragedy. It, it, effectively, I, I, I will mention for the audience at this point, uh, that uh, the tragedy would be uh, not asking the question, who do you think killed him? <laughs> to the inspector. I've completely lost the page, but come I can tell you we can't be on 442, I don't think. Okay. Because that's, that's not true. asking the investigator, it seems to be. So, I think 443? That's not asking the investigator? Oh, as in you saw the next prompt from it? Not... It was the only way I could get there. I, just, I was like, let's show me one name, and I'm like, that's not the investigator's name. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> okay, so 443, right? 
That's what you. That's what you wrote down, though, isn't it? It it is. It is. I just didn't want to. You didn't miss trust out yourself. Content because of a transcription error. Yeah, sure. Four forty three. With enough information to begin your investigation, you thank Mycroft and McDonald for their time to lend some authority to your investigation. McDonald gives you a letter of introduction, asking all who read it to cooperate with you. As you pull on your coat against the chill of the winter air, Mycroft stops you with a motion of his hand. There is one other matter you should consider carefully, he says. Obviously, you should see Watson first, but you might want to also see Mr. Christopher Marshall, a good friend of Watson. He was the man who actually informed me of the doctor's dip. I then contacted Mr. McDonald, but Mr. Marshall should know a great deal about the case and will tell someone working to save Watson. You'll be very wise to interview him before you visit the scene or talk to any other witnesses. Wasting no time, you hurry to Dr. Wait, Dr. Watson residence in Kensington. As soon as you send in your card, the maid leads you into the study to meet the doctor. D- <laughs> it, it does uh, sound like yeah. they said, before you do that, go <laughs> yeah. see Christopher Marshall. Anyway, here's Watson. Uh, <laughs> great. No. <laughs> Dr. John Watson is a personification of the typical English man. A solidly built man with a thin neck and a strong jaw. Thick neck and a strong jaw. <laughs> a little old neck and a big old jaw. Both is- <laughs> he was a veritable pop vinyl of a man. <laughs> Both his hair and mustache are carefully trimmed. His study is a comfortable room with easy chairs, a snug fireplace, and glass-fronted bookcase. The case is well-filled except for an odd-looking gap on the second shelf. Good day, sir. Dr. Watson says warmly. I remember you well from the days when you assisted Mr. Holmes. And now you're a detective yourself. What can I do for you? I, uh, actually hope to help you, Doctor. You answer carefully. Inspector McDonald of Scotland Yard and Mr. Mycroft Holmes have asked me to investigate the murder of Sir Terence Milton. Sir Terence? He answers surprised. I thought, I thought last evening that Mr. McDonald was ready to hang me for that. Has he changed his mind? Uh, he said... You answer carefully. That all the evidence pointed to you, but he hoped that I might find something he missed. If you ask him to describe what happened, 359, otherwise 573. So can you tell me what happened last night? You ask. Certainly. He answers. Told MacDonald everything I knew. <laughs> last night I went to a club. The Three Continents for a supper and a game of whist. My partner Marshall and I played perfectly in the last hand. Made a slam to win the rubber. Well, Sir Terence made a fuss over the matter, though his losings were less than a pound, and accused me of cheating. We insulted each other for a while. Finally, when I tired of the fellow, I laid him out with a punch between the eyes. Hey, what'd you do then? You ask. Just stay in the card room or go elsewhere. Oh, my friend Marshall hurried me out of the room. He answers. He didn't want any more trouble. Even though the club was free about such matters, he led me to a parlor where one of the servants got me a glass of brandy and I went up there to a small billiard room to drink it in peace. When did you do that? You ask. I don't really know. He answers. I didn't pay attention to the clock. I sat and read for a while while I drank my brandy and when I finished and went downstairs, before I'd gotten to the foot of the stair, one of the servants came screaming. Ran back up to the room. I just left it and... I was just behind some of the other members. Sir Terence was lying in a corner behind the billiard table. Someone had smashed his head in with a poker from the fireplace. Hey, could you tell how long he'd been dead? 
I didn't perform an autopsy, Watson answers testily. But he'd been dead for a few minutes at least. He must have been dead and lying there when I entered the room. It was odd because I saw no one leave as I went upstairs and went down to the room. Check off clue C and turn. Oh, if you checked off clue mm -hmm. C, turn to 210. Which we did. That is that the table was knocked over. Mm. Think back on when you were sitting in the room. You tell Watson. Did you notice a small table was knocked over? A small table? He asks in return. No, I can't say I remember any such thing. And if it had been there, I would have picked it up. Can't have furniture tipped over, you know. Not in your own club. Turn to 332. Your curiosity spurred by Watson's careful comments about Sir Terence, you wonder what he really felt about the dead man. If you ask his opinion of Sir Terence, 256. Otherwise, 361. We should probably ask this as well. Yeah. Clear off the obvious suspects, because even if we get information that's like, no, I had no a special problem with him, that's going to be a clue later on that we can use. Yes. So, recalling what you know of him, what'd you think of Sir Terence? You ask Watson. What sort of man is he? Pick a number and add communication. Needing an eight, getting a nine. Yeehaw. What did I think of Sir Terence? Watson repeats. Well, I didn't much like him, one way or the other. One doesn't have much of an opinion on every man he meets, after all. He was just a casual acquaintance. But his business failure cast you a lot of money, didn't it? Well, hardly a reason to hate a man. Watson answers. I knew it was a risky venture. I may have thrown it up at him last night when we were, you know, employing every insult that occurred to us, but... You know, sometimes men who don't really know each other can get in a shouting match and you throw everything you possibly can at the other fellow. So you didn't care for him or dislike him? You continue. Not at all. I wish he'd been murdered in a way that didn't involve me. Aside from that, I had no opinion of his character whatsoever. I'm not really certain that he had a character, to be frank. Ooh, interestingly enough, it says... Character. See... H -A -A I'm not certain he had a character, to be frank. <laughs> C-H-A-A-C-T-E-R, uh, to be frank. 361. You remember that Sir Terence had mentioned Watson's relations with some woman in their argument. If you ask Watson about this argument, turn to 224, otherwise 232. Worth asking about, certainly? Yeah. Feels like anything for Watson is probably worth asking. Mm-hmm. Trying to choose your words carefully, you ask Watson. Mr. McDonald mentioned that Sir Terence insulted a lady during the argument. Could that be relevant in this affair? Pick a number and add your communication bonus. Two to eight. Oof. Nine to twelve. Interestingly, a hard one. I mean, we got a twelve, so the eleven plus one, so we get to we get this juicy check. I'm ready for clues. Yeah, or it might be like, it's a hard check because it's a red herring and you don't have to worry about it now. We'll see. Watson looks startled at the question and then shakes his head. I don't think it matters in the least, he finally says. And there's a certain sharpness in this tone. I'm surprised that Sir Terence had even heard of it. We had every type of argument in which men try to hurl at each other every possible hurtful thing. Bending about the lady's name is just another example of Sir Terence's rudeness. If you ask who might have committed the murder, turn to 442, otherwise 263. Yeah? Yeah. This is the Do one. Do you know of anyone who might have wanted to kill Sir Terence? You ask? Anyone who had, uh, you know, a motive. 
Pick an M and add communication. Needing an eight, getting an eight, getting an eight. Seven plus one. Woo! And yes, this is, this this is, is the, the, page. the page that we would have wanted to land on otherwise. For yeah, so we would have skipped a little bit. I don't know if we would have gained any clues, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Watson thinks a moment uh, at his question and then smiles. I've thought about that. He answers. And I considered the evidence in a way that Holmes would have considered it. And the best conclusion I come to is that I killed the man. What? You gasp, then relax as he laughs. <laughs> I mean, that is what the evidence indicates. He continues. But as I know, I didn't do it. I did think of two or three other people who didn't particularly care for him. Uh, who were they? You ask eagerly. Well, there's a man named Symington, with officers down in the river, who I'd heard spoken of, a very bitter business rivalry of Sir Terence. Oh, and there was the Earl of Waynesborough. There were rumours a few months ago that his wife was overly friendly with Sir Terence when the Earl was in Scotland on business. Of course, neither of them was in the club last night. Do you know anyone else? You urge. Anyone who might have lost money in his businesses, for example. Oh, that's no reason for murder. Watson answers. Calls for harsh words and a punch between the eyes, but not a killing. Check deduction three and turn to 263. What did we deduct there, though? That he didn't do it. <laughs> uh, so, like, additional motive. Additional suspects. Oops. Thank you for your time, Doctor. You say quietly. I assure you, I will do everything in my power to find the man who killed Sir Terence. And whatever the evidence, not even the police believe you killed the man. As you leave the doctor's house, you ponder your next action. Remembering Mycroft Holmes' advice, you go to visit Watson's friend Marshall, but you find that he's not home. You'll have to go to him, talk to him later at the club. From his house, you go on to the Three Continents Club. Turn to 176. You come to the Three Continents Club, located on a street leading off of Pall Mall. From your knowledge of the city, you decide that it was once the London residence of some noble or gentleman, probably sold to the club when the cost of modern living began to strain inherited incomes. On seeing the letter from Inspector MacDonald, the servant who answered the door leads you to the office of John Strickland, the chairman of the club. I see that you are here to investigate that unfortunate affair of last night. He says, and you can tell that he's not overly pleased. Well, I'll hope this is the last of it. I'll have the butler assemble the men who were here last night, and you can talk to him. Meanwhile, I'll take you up to the billiard room, and you can see the scene of the crime. Though, why you think you can find something the police missed, I can't say. After a word with a servant, Strickland then leads you up a side stair to a small hall with two or three rooms on the side. The chairman tells you that only the billiard room, a small study in the corner lavatory, are used. A constable stands in front of the billiard room, but he lets you in when the chairman shows him MacDonald's letter. You step into the billiard room and glance around. You may look at the map on 205 at any time. Hmm. The billiard room is a snug place. Easy chairs flank a large fireplace, facing a sofa that stretches diagonally across the middle of the room. Drapes hanging from the ceiling to the door to the floor hide three windows along a wall opposite the door. The billiard table fills one corner with cue racks and other equipment near it. A cue lies across it, though the balls do not appear to have been broken by someone actually playing. If you've checked off clue C, turn to 273. We have indeed, and that is still the table was knocked over. You notice the little table that McDonald mentioned lying on its side 
Wait, mentioned lying on his side by the far easy chair. Turn to 259. Um, before we go to 259, though, we should note. Oh, so yeah. It's 259 now. Uh, we should go to 205 to have a look at True. the room. True. Okay, so it's a bird's eye view of the room. Mm-hmm. Where is... Okay, so hmm, how to explain this for podcast? So the uh, entrance to this room is on its longest side. Uh, and to one end, the left is the parlor area, to the right is the billiards area. Uh, behind the billiards table is where the body was found in that corner, so it easily could have been obscured by many different things. Uh, the parlor definitely looks like the uh, parlor could have been interacted with without seeing that body. Seems the fact like that we me. know that uh, Watson mentions that he would have righted the uh, furniture we tend to suspect that the furniture was knocked down after Watson left, uh, which would indicate that someone was hiding maybe even behind the curtains. Yeah. Although again. that did happen in the last case. <laughs> yeah. But they would have had to hide behind the curtains and then knock over the table when erupting, kill the man. Uh, or maybe even just stash the corpse of the man there. Maybe he died earlier. We don't know. Uh, but there are many paths here for Watson to have not done this. Yes. That's more or less what I'm learning from this, too. 259. You walk over to the little table and look around. The table itself is nothing out of the ordinary, but you can see the outline of the body chalked on the floor beyond the billiards table. If the table were knocked over by Watson while he was in the room, he certainly would have seen the body. Turn to 275. You wonder what secrets the billiard room might hide. If you've checked off clue B, 276, otherwise 459. Have we? We haven't checked off. It's it's possible that that's like, have you found the clue already? No, then continue searching. You try to consider what further steps to take in the investigation. You're, you are abs, absolutely, wait, absolutely, the spelling. Hmm. <clears throat> absolutely certain absolutely absolutely yeah it's like a b s o u l absolutely uh okay certain that there must be some evidence to prove watson innocent if you can only think uh wait if you could only think of where to look for it pick a number and add your intuition needing a nine getting a nine eight plus one we're making up for the fact that we failed our first roll with hitting these bangers where hopefully it counts. 364. Realizing that the club was once a private house, you wonder whether there might be a secret exit somewhere in it. Such an exit might help to clear Watson. If you search for it, 307, or if you decide not to, 422. Uh. Yeah, let's search for this one. Especially because 422 is the page we would have gone to otherwise if we didn't succeed that role. Yeah. With a quick word of explanation to the chairman, you begin to search for a possible secret exit from the room. He's obviously impatient, but you do not let that distract you. Quick examination of the walls show that they cannot possibly hide a secret exit, and you begin to examine the floor with all possible care. If you search the floor of 212, otherwise you could not. I'd like to. 212. You go over the fine wood floor of the room, looking everywhere for a possible trap door. This task is complicated by the small, colorful rugs scattered around the room. Pick a number and add your observation. Needing a nine, getting a... Eleven. 
five, Woo! five, ten, plus one. Thank God is all I have to say. Because if we if we was like, look for a secret room, you look, I keep looking, I keep looking, I keep looking. Roll observation. I don't find it. Mm -hmm. I'd be annoyed. You find a trap door cleverly hidden in the floor beneath the billiards table and pointed out to Strickland. He looks surprised. Hmm. And then asks. Are you going to waste the time to open it and see where it leads? Check clue G. If you decide to go through it, 126. If you decide not to, 336. What? Waste the time to see where the secret exit goes? Excuse me. <laughs> Sneeze for effect. <laughs> the whole open and shut nature of this case so far has predicated itself entirely upon the fact that Watson left through the only entrance and exit to this room. We discover another one and you're not excited about that? Yeah, a little bit cringe. Let's go to 126. You decide that... Someone cool on the other side. You decide that no true detective would fail to investigate this exit. You squirm through it with a disgusted Strickland following you, complaining all the way. You drop to the floor in an office with barred windows. A large safe stands in the corner, and the door out of this room is locked. Whose office is this? You ask Strickland. This is the office of the club's secretary. I knew it! He answers. We had bars put on the windows. We often have large amounts of money or other valuables in that safe. Secretary and I are the only ones that have keys to this door. Fortunately, I have mine with me, as I so relish not having to climb through that silly trap door. There are no other secret exits from this room. We've checked very thoroughly before we move the safe in here. He opens the door and leads you into the hall by the stair that leads up to the billiard room. Pick a number and add your intuition. Wait! Hang on. So the security of this, that he apparently knew about the trapdoor, uh, was the reason he put the safe in here? But doesn't that mean if you put anyone in the billiards room, they can get to the safe? Isn't that how that works? I, I, I guess. But they have keys. They're the only ones with keys to the door. So it's... Well, yeah, but the, the door is out of the room. You can oh, get into man. this door without a key through this uh, entrance. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, roll intuition. Need an eight. Got a ten. We're cooking. <gasps> We're cooking. 378. Yeah. For a moment, you're excited to find the secret exit, but as you think about it, you conclude that the killer could hardly use this route. It was a red herring. Even if he knew about the trap door, he would have needed the key to the secretary's office, even if he met these requirements. He would have had to come out of the office without knowing whether anyone was in the hall. Check deduction 5 and turn to 282. Alternatively, he came into the billiards room, hid in the trap door, yeah. waited, waited, then came out. He didn't need to go to the office. The secretary's office is never relevant. It's true. It's true. 282. It's just a little hidey hole. Strickland is obviously very impatient with you. You wonder whether you should look over the billiard room again to be, or begin interviewing the witnesses who were in the club the night of the killing. You look over the room again, 284, otherwise 558. Hmm. I do feel like we probably got the most important thing out of the room, but... Same. Um, it's just the fact that he's impatient. Yeah. Like, he wants to put this matter behind him. It's a, a, a stain on his club, etc. But, like, that's pretty suspicious, my man. Yeah. He does have the key. For the He's trying to use our room. politeness to get us to just let this one go. No, we don't have to be polite. I mean, I'm Can happy I to look over the room again. Yeah, let's do it. Two eighty four. Do it. 
I need to go over that room again. You tell the chairman, and he reluctantly goes back upstairs with you. The constable lets you back into the billiard room, though he looks rather surprised. Check deduction 5 and turn to 281. So deduction 5 was already checked by killer no use trapdoor. Weird. Wait, what? Wait, what? Huh. Yeah. Why would... Strange. Okay. Uh, you try and think of how you would hide in a billiard room. Looking around the room, you wonder whether a man could hide successfully behind the floor-length window curtains. If you ask Strickland to hide, turn to 474, otherwise 350. I mean, I kind of love the idea of saying, oh, now no hide. <laughs> yeah, but will will that will that make him so mad that we don't get to do anything? I think so. Maybe we should, because you know what? We were given the warning sign. The warning sign was he's impatient. We pushed him on it. I think this would be the hell with yeah. you. Yeah. Let's go to 350. Curmudgeon. You decide that Strickland is already so irritated that it'd be unwise to do anything that might upset him even more. Correct. Turn to 583. Having given such attention to the room, you decide to look very carefully at the billiards table and the area around it. Though impatient with you, Strickland at least admits that this search makes some sense. Huh. Pick a number to add your observation. Uh, needing an 8, getting a 13. <gasps> Going to 420. You look at the outline of the body without discovering anything of interest, then look over the billiard table with great care. Deep in one of the pockets, you find a very odd scrap of paper. It has a string of numbers across it, with only one or two odd words. You may read the note on 209 at any time. Check off clue I, and then turn to 558. Before we do that, let's check this out on 209, and it's 550. You're writing that down. You're writing that down. 209. Oh, boy. Interesting. So the note is, uh, first it has what's probably a cipher key or something like that, which is 9, and then formatted 9 o'clock. So the number 9 and then the time 9 o'clock, uh, which we know is relevant to this crime. And then it has a matrix of 4 deep, and six across, so 24 different entries, most of which are numbers, but also the words when, if, me, why, same. We obviously can't crack this immediately, uh, I don't think. I do not think so. Me when safe. <laughs> <laughs> why? <laughs> mm. Yeah, two, it's a bunch of numbers, yeah, 230... 205, me, 25, 40, 164, 113, if. Yeah. I don't know. If we could crack it, I don't want to try. <laughs> mm -hmm. ne uh, next, what was the page? Uh, 558. You tell Strickland that you're finished examining the billiard room and now wish to interview the members of and staff who were present at the time of the murder. Nodding in agreement, he leads you into a small office on the first floor. A desk and several comfortable chairs make it an ideal place for interviews. Uh, just how many people were in the club last night? You ask, wondering how long the intervals will take. We're fortunate in that regard. He answers stiffly. Lord Grayson invited all the members to his estate for a few days' entertainment, and so most of the membership accepted. The only members here last night were myself, Dr. Watson, of course, Sir Terrence, Mr. Christopher Marshall, Lord Howerton, Howard, Howard sorry, Mr. John Howard, and Edward Lawrence. 
Sir George Grant and Mr. Thomas Sullivan were playing chess in the study across the hall from the billiard room while Mr. Thomas Martin, if I recall correctly, and Alexander Lewis were in there earlier. But both left some before the body was found. To the serpents, servants, rather, oh. sorry, <laughs> man, my class, that's what I think of them as, uh, to the servants might be able to help you some. Uh, Johnson saw Dr. Watson going to the room when Chambers was the man who found the body. I'll stay here to witness what's said, if you wish. If you wish to question Strickland, turn to 285, otherwise 352. The members here were myself. Yep. Boom. Yep. Time to ask you some questions, buddy. 285. You and me, punk. May you I ask you a room. couple of questions first, Mrs. Strickland? You ask? It may well help me understand the sequence of things. Strickland looks surprised and then agrees. Very well, though I do not know anything else. I was only here during the murder. Why would I? I was <laughs> dead at the time. I'm an alibi. <laughs> yes, and describe what happened. 534. Otherwise, 207 hit him with the psych. <laughs> <laughs> Can I question you? Yeah. I just wanted to know if I could. <laughs> good, good to know. Not interested. <laughs> 534. So uh, tell me what happened there last night. You urge. Beginning with the fight between Dr. Watson and Sir, uh, Sir Terrence, if you would. First, I did not see the fight myself. I heard of it later after we found the body. And it wouldn't have worried me if I had known. You understand, these things will happen when you have a number of energetic and proud young men in a club. As they don't damage the furnishings, we expect a little brawl every now and then as a member of our nature ship. Or the nature of our membership. <laughs> to join a man must have visited at least three continents, and such men tend to be lively fellows. Pick a number and add your intuition. Twelve. I picked the number twelve. Did that work? I think. Did you roll either. a twelve? The universe didn't like that. We got a three uh, plus one. That's a four. We needed an eight. <laughs> All right. Okay. Oops. <laughs> Doesn't did not like that called shot. <laughs> Five sixty two. You Whoa, five sixty two? I think five sixty two is a success, was it not? Uh well, 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 I'm so used to the successes at this point. What's the failure? <laughs> oh no. You don't know the failure? I I believe the failure is three oh one. Okay, good. Now uh, just try to be precise if you can. You continue. And tell me exactly what you were doing when you heard of the murder and what you saw when you went upstairs. I was with Johnson in the sub room when Chambers called out. Strickland says. We were checking that everything was set up properly for the late supper. We always put out a light meal around 11, as many of the members keep odd hours. With Chambers screaming, help, murder, at the top of his lungs, we ran upstairs to the billiards room, and we were about the last man to arrive. The other members were clustered by the billiards table looking down at the body. Watson was kneeling by the body, and after confirming that Sir Terrence was dead, he told the others to keep back and not touch anything. And, uh, all the members were there? No one came in after you? You ask? Yeah. I looked around to check once I was certain we had a murder to deal with and saw them all. I'm sure no one came in after Johnson and I ran in. If you have no more questions for Strickland, 228. If you checked, clue C. 457. Otherwise, 207. Did you knock over the table? 457. It's a very important table. Do you recall that there was a small table that was near the window that was knocked over? You inquire. Was it already on its side when you entered the room? 
Strickland thinks a moment and then nods. Yeah, yeah, it was. I noticed it as soon as I looked away from the body. There was no one who could have knocked it over after I came in. I might have picked it up out of habit if Watson hadn't urged us to leave the evidence alone. Turn to 207. You wonder what opinion Strickland had of Sir Terrence. If you ask the opinion, 472. If you're through with him, 228. Otherwise, 555. I don't think we should ask, but I also don't think we're through with him. I think we should go to 555. I think so. Let's do it. Woo! Such a thrill to make a choice there. Huh? 550. Yeah. What? <laughs> what? That can't be it, though. What page did we come from again? I could have sworn it was 555 that was written down, but 555 is not <laughs> uh, contiguous. Additionally, it leads to a page that's not in the book. <laughs> <laughs> so... Okay. So um... let's, how about we just pick a different one? <laughs> um... Yeah, it says go to 555. Uh, Let's pick a different option. Sure. Um, I guess maybe we ask his opinion. Then. Yeah. What page is that? 472. So wild. Sorry, this book has a bug? Yeah. <laughs> I got softlocked in this book. Now, uh, I, of course, didn't know Sir Terrence. You began. What kind of man was he? Do you think they could have been someone with a strong reason to want to kill him? Pick a number and add communication. Oh. <laughs> that's a three plus one. That's a four. Oof. Four thirty-three. Reason for someone to kill him. Strickland reiterates. What sort of questions that? Obviously, someone thought they had enough reason to kill him. Otherwise, we'd hardly have to put up with his nonsense. But I really don't see the point in gossiping about his strengths and weaknesses. You paid for him already, poor man. Turned to 228. Reason to kill him when he's dead. I mean, yeah, yes. Astute. Someone had a good enough reason to kill him. They killed him. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you for answering my questions. You say to Strickland, realizing that you'll learn nothing more from this man. You've been a great help in my investigation. Sure. Turn to 352. That's generous. I think it'd be best to talk to Johnson. The Strickland says. If you want to see him, I mean, I know he was downstairs from 8.30 after, until after, rather, the body was discovered. If you want to talk to Johnson, 3.30, otherwise 4.47. So, that note said 9 o'clock on it. It did. Uh, grumble, grumble, grumble. Grumble, grumble. Strickland brings in Edwin Johnson, the club's butler. <coughs> oh boy. Johnson is a tall, thin man with a very calm, dignified face. He's obviously the soul of discretion. If you ask him if you heard the fight, 167, otherwise 397. The soul of discretion. Did you hear the fight? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, once... all right, cool. <laughs> next, next witness, 167. I do feel like the fight is a bit of a. Red herring. Red herring. Yeah. I think it presented opportunity for someone else to exploit upon a uh, a second motive. Yeah. Thank you for your time. You tell Johnson. Can you tell me anything about that fight in the card room last night? The one between Dr. Watson and Sir Terrence Milton? There was a 
he answers quietly. But I don't know anything about it. The members of this club are a very lively and an outbreak of fisticuffs over cards is hardly a matter for comment. Turn to 397. You remember that it was Johnson who told the police exactly when Dr. Watson went upstairs. If you ask him how he knew, 186. If you're done questioning, 181. Otherwise, 260. 186, 100%. Yar. So, uh, you told the police that Dr. Watson went up to the billiards room at exactly 9. You say, and the butler nods. How could you be so exact? The butler's shoulders lift in the slightest of shrugs. I made a point of remembering after the body was found. He answers. The doctor came to me and asked for a good stiff brandy as he needed to settle his temper a little, and he mentioned the fight with Sir Terence. When I served his brandy, he told me he was going to the billiard room to read the paper and calm down a little. He left the hall door open and I saw him start up the steps just as the clock in the smoking room chimed the hour. That is a clock that we are always very careful to keep on the correct time. The inspector verified that this morning, after he interviewed me. Turn to 260. You wonder whether Johnson knows anything more worth the time to question him. If you ask where he was when he heard of the murder, 219. If you're finished, 181. He just told us where he was, right? Yeah. He was downstairs and he was literally, well, actually, no, he, that's how he knows when, mm. Uh, mm, okay, when he heard of the murder. So we don't know where he was at 9.30 necessarily, but I do wonder if the novel is pointing us into like, hey, there's someone else now. Yeah, it says anything more worth the time to question him. Feels like it's saying, nah, I'm willing to skip it as long as it doesn't soft lock the book. 496 though, or 181? Uh... 496 is like, maybe we Four, get a different question. Yeah, 496. I think we should still keep talking to him, but possibly not this, and then maybe turn it down if we find another line of questioning we don't think is useful. You wonder if Johnson saw anything odd when he went up to the billiards room. Like, maybe he wouldn't have been able to ask this question, for example. Yeah, exactly. We might have run out of time. 160. We might yeah. have insulted him. Yep. Uh, when you got up to the billiards room, what did you see in there? You ask Johnson. Did you remember anything odd? Well, he answers quietly. Dead baronet on the floor is not a common occurrence, even in this club, and the body distracted my attention from my surroundings. When Mr. Strickland and I ran in, there were a number of men clustered up by the billiards table, and Dr. Watson was standing up from the body. The doctor said Terence was dead just when we arrived. Checked off clue C, turned to 104. This freaking table. The table did it. At this point. When you were in the room, did you notice that one of the little tables was knocked over? You ask? Uh, the one by the chair nearest the windows. No, sir. I'm afraid I did not notice. He answers. I had eyes for nothing but the body, sir. Until Mr. Strickland sent us running errands and preparing for the arrival of the police. Turn to 181. You decide that you've learned all that you can from the butler. You thank him for answering your questions and bid him good day. Turn to 447. Strickland has written out a list of the witnesses and consults it now. The next witness... He announces to you. ...is Bobby Chambers, the man who found Sir Terrence's body. You want to talk to him? If you wish to talk to Chambers, 356, otherwise 515. I mean, what, is he going to self-report the body? Come on. 
People don't do that. Not until they've played like two matches. <laughs> it's for advanced killers. Um, I mean, we probably should, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> we should at least talk to them before we figure out if they are worth skipping. Chambers is a short, slender man with a thin face and sandy hair. He's obviously nervous as he stands in front of you, shifting from one foot to the other. He did it. Sit down and make yourself comfortable, you say softly. Don't worry, you got nothing to worry about, Chambers. No one suspects you're doing anything wrong. Chambers perches on the edge of one of the chairs and says very softly, Oh, thank you, sir. The police were so angry with me last night when I was proper scared when Mr. Trickland told me I'd talk to another bloke about it. It was proper horrible, sir, to find a man poor, poor man like that. I understand. You tell him. Now, I'd appreciate it if you told me exactly why you were upstairs when you found Mr. Terrence. Oh, that's where I'm supposed to be, he says hurriedly. There's a lavatory and a couple of small rooms that members use up there, and one of us stays up there every night to make sure that everything is done just like it should be. Dirty dishes taken away and the fires kept going, that sort of thing, sir. If you ask him about seeing Watson, turn to 398. If you don't want to ask any more questions, 439. I... No more questions, just observe. <laughs> I want to get a vibe. It's got to be 398, right? we got to ask yeah. him about Watson. Yeah. Now, Chambers. You ask. I understand you saw Dr. Watson come out the billiard room just before you went in. Can you tell me anything more about that? Oh, yes, sir. Oh, I don't know what there is to tell. He replies, studying the pattern of the rug as he talks. He's just like me, for real, for real. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was in the lavatory when I saw the plenty of clean towels, and when I came out, I saw Dr. Watson come out from the billiard room. I figured he'd just been in there by himself, and it'd be a good time to check the fire and uh, fetch away his glass and such, but no one else was in the hall or came out of the billiards room between the time he came out of the room and I went in. If you ask him how Watson behaved, turn to 294, otherwise 370. 294, we've got it. We've got, I... we've got to see. If he, if he walked out of the room and he looked left and right, like, surreptitiously, <laughs> guilty. If he walked out of the room with a bloody fireplace poker, and mm -hmm. he twirled his moustache, then mm, that's minus one. When you saw Dr. Watson, how exactly did he behave? You ask. Behave, sir? He answers, clearly puzzled. What do you mean by how he behaved? Pick a number and add your communication. That is a 10 plus 1. That is an 11, needing an 8. Yes. 296. When Dr. Watson left the billiard room, did he seem upset? You ask, trying to overcome Chambers' obvious confusion. Chambers thinks a moment, then shakes his head, and as he says, No, sir, he didn't act strangely at all. He just acted like he always does. Nodded a little polite-like and went on his way downstairs. Of course, I don't pay much attention to the members, sir. It's not my place to. Turn to 370. Mm. Yeah. So definitely not trying to hide his exit. Yeah. <laughs> He'd have to be an advanced, advanced murderer. Mmm. And we're not three games in yet. Yeah. Oh, no, no we're four. Anyways, you say. It's true. Just relax and think carefully. Then, tell me what you saw when you found the body. Chambers relaxes and begins the story he's obviously told several times already. I went in there, sir, to begin to tidy up the things that needed to be tidied. I was going to stir the fire, but the poker wasn't there. Then I saw something else over by the billiards table, and I ran over and saw Sir Paul Terrence. Lying on his face. Back of his head was a proper mess, sir. 
and the poker was lying by him. Oh, bloody. When I see, when I sees that done like any man would, I run out into the hall, yelling for help. Oh, thank God, the other gentleman came quick and took matters into hand. Pick a number and add your intuition. Needing an eight, getting a six. Five <laughs> plus one, that's a fail. 150. You wonder whether he saw any sign of someone else. Saw any sign that someone else was in the room besides Sir Terence and Dr. Watson. If you ask about signs of presence of others, 266 or two options to skip. I think we, this is I think we should important. Ask. 266. Did you uh, see anyone else in that room? You ask Chambers. Any sign of someone else? You know, besides Sir Terence and Dr. Watson. You know, signs like glasses or something that type. Oh, there was nothing of that type. He says. The only glass was Dr. Watson's. I'm glad I didn't see no one, of course. He adds. If there's anyone hidden there, it must have been the killer. And if I'd seen him, he would have killed me. Turn to 507. You think that you... Wait. You think through what you know about the case and wonder if the Chambers might be able to tell you anything else. If you've checked off clue C... Turn to 5.45. The table! 5.45. I mean, he he was the first person to go into the room after Watson left, so true. he would be able to confirm. True, true, true. You remember that little table that was knocked over in the billiard room and you can't stop thinking about it. You can't forget. You cannot forget. You realize that if Chambers can say definitely that it was knocked over when he went in, it would be a very strong piece of evidence that Watson could have been in the room without seeing anything suspicious. If you ask Chambers about the table, 320, otherwise 439. <laughs> we come to that deduction and then it's like, ah, <laughs> This could clear the man. I'm bored. 320. Now, Chambers. You say? When you went into that room, did you notice anything out of place? Anything besides the dead man, of course? Chambers shakes his head and asks. Well, what sort of thing, sir? Did someone else say that something was out of place? Hey, what I'm thinking... You continue. It's about that little credenza near the windows, the one uh, beside the easy chair. Was it knocked down already when you entered? Chambers shakes his head. I don't know, sir. I don't remember. You wonder how to get an answer from him. If you decide he doesn't know, 439. If you urge him to think harder, 379. If you try and find a better way to ask, 194. I think 194 out yeah, of Yeah, I don't know that feels better. You rack your own brains trying to think of a good way to trigger Chambers' memories and prove whether the little table was knocked over. Pick a number and add your intuition. Needing a seven, getting a seven on the dot. Six plus one, oh. 578. As you think the problem over, you decide that there are two ways you might stimulate Chambers' memories. You could force him to retrace his steps in the room, action by action, or you could ask him whether he would have left the table lying on its side if he had seen it in that situation. I mean, we already know that he wouldn't, right? Because his whole job is making things right and neat. So we feel like he would yeah. definitely change it. That's how but it I guess feels. maybe in that situation. The tough thing is needing something for like a check off. Mm -hmm. That's the tough thing. 4389. Uh, uh, I think we should go to 383. 383. Wait, it's 383? Is it not? You're right. It just seems like the other one is confirming something that the game has already told us two times very recently. Yeah. Like, he would have righted it. It would have been righted by anyone who saw it. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. It's very important to remember whether that table was already knocked over. You say slowly. So what I want to do, Chambers, 
is to review everything you did in the room, step by step. Uh, yes, sir. Chambers answers, his voice doubtful. Now, set your mind to think things over. You say? You saw Dr. Watson leave, and then you went into the billiards room. Now, you take it from here. Uh, yes, sir. He answers. I went in, and the doctor had left a glass on the table by his chair, and a newspaper lying in the chair. I folded the paper neatly and put it on the table in front of the couch. Then I went over to do up the fire and found that the poker wasn't there. Very good, very good. You say encouragingly. And uh, where did you go then? Oh, there was a bit of paper that was, or something, sitting on the billiard table. I walked over to take care of that. That's where I found Sir Terence. <gasps> That's it, sir! He says with excitement rising in his voice. What's it? Strickland asks. I walked right by that little table, sir, and I never would have left it lying on the floor. If it were knocked over, it must have been after I ran out to yell for help. I guess one of the men who ran in later must have knocked it over. That must be the case. You agree. Check clue J and turn to 439. Mm -hmm. Feel you've learned everything you possibly can from Chambers. Looks very happy when you tell him that you're through and hardly waits for your thanks before leaving the room. I like him. Yep. Turn to 515. Good lad. Turns out he killed him over we sad about it. Yeah. And then we we'll cover it up. Yep. Gonna cover it up. Gonna kill anyone who finds out. The chairman looks over his list, stops to think, and then nods. I think the best man for you to talk to next would be Sir George Grant. He finally says. He and Thomas Sullivan were playing chess in that room across the hall until Chambers began screaming. They were the first members ran in the room after that. Sir George may have seen something we missed. If you talk to Grant... 286, otherwise 278. I mean, we've got to ask about this table. <laughs> 286. Who killed this table? <laughs> <laughs> At a word from Strickland, a servant summons Sir George Grant. He's a short, stout man with a halo of fluffy white hair circling a bald head. You wonder how much he noticed that night. He looks like a man who doesn't pay much attention to nothing. Good evening, sir. He says very politely. I understand that you were looking into the rather unfortunate affair of yesterday evening. Uh, yeah, I am, Sir George. You reply, offering him a chair with a wave of your hand. And I very much appreciate your cooperation. So, uh, could you tell me exactly what happened? What you saw last night? Oh, certainly. Grant replies. When Chambers called out, I was playing chess in the room across the hall, playing with Mr. Sullivan. Uh, with Chambers yelling, murder, murder, at the top of his lungs, we both jumped up and ran out into the hall. Uh, Chambers led us back in there, and we found poor Terry Milton lying behind the billiard table. Oh, John Watson ran in behind us, and being the doctor, he bent over to confirm all we could see, that Milton was dead. If you ask him how Milton... But Watson behaved to eleven. If you don't don't ask any more questions, three thirty three. Otherwise, one thirty two. That's good enough. I'm taking that for doctrine. Uh, we, I don't we, care about I, Watson. I think we need behavior. We don't though. care about how Watson acted exactly. So I think we could either like stay in the conversation by asking him about Watson's actions, or uh, we could go straight to one thirty. Although I guess, hmm, was Watson? No, I don't think we're getting a unique perspective on Watson here. One thirty two. Let's do it we got to ask him about the table. So we've yes. got to save the conversation. <laughs> you try and think of more questions to ask Sir George and wonder if he knows anything else. You ask no more questions, 333. Otherwise, pick a number and add your intuition. Needing a 7, getting an 8. 272. Table, here we come. So uh, when did your chess game begin? You ask Grant. 
We began to play around eight, Sir George answers. We drew our first game and started another immediately. Did you hear anything out of the ordinary before Chambers called out? You continue. Pick a number and add your communication. Needing a seven, getting a eight. 385. Hear anything? He answers thoughtfully. No, I didn't hear anything. He says. I'm certain we would have noticed any loud noises, though, uh, because they would have disturbed our game. Uh, but the walls are very thick in this building, so you could have quite the argument without people even hearing you across the hall. We only heard Chambers because he ran out into the hall, calling out. Turn to 184. <laughs> Consider further questions for Sir George and wonder whether anyone will provide any help or comments on this case if you check Lucy. Turn to 230. Lucy, 230, let's do it. I'm looking into the murder of a table. Uh, just one more thing. When you went into the room, did you notice whether one of the little tables was knocked over? You ask. Table? Grant answers vaguely. I didn't look around the room. I was too busy looking at poor Milton. Oh, ghastly sight. Turn to 351. You think hard, trying to decide if there's anything else that Sir George might be able to tell you. If you've checked off clue G, turn to 528. We have indeed. That is that there was a trap door under the billiards. 528, 528. You think of the trap door under the billiard table, and you wonder whether Sir Ger George knew anything about it. If you ask him about it, 302, otherwise 333. I mean, do we care if the secret gets outed? Not really. Of course not. I mean, <laughs> unless a new crime gets done here because of it. Yeah. But that's just job, that's just job security for us, so we should definitely. Yeah, 302. Spill the beans. So when I searched that billiards room, you begin. I found the most curious thing. Want to know what I found? I found there was a trap door under the table. Did you know there was such a thing in the house? Trap door? He answers. My word, how bizarre. You mean to say that there really is such a thing in this dear old place? Well, that's often the way with these old houses. Pick a number and add your intuition. Needing an 8, getting a 12, 363. Find the murderer. I believe it's 367. While Grant obviously doesn't know anything about the trapdoor, you wonder whether he can tell you who does know the secrets of the house. If you ask him who might know, 274, otherwise 333. Hmm, 274? I wish you knew more about it. You say casually. Do you know anyone who might know the secrets of this place? Grant smiles a little. I cannot be certain, he says. So I'm only guessing, you understand. I understand. You answer quickly. I, of course, will be discreet if there's any need to confirm your guess. Where? Sir George goes on. You may or may not know it, but two of our members, the Earl of Waynesborough and his son, Lord Grayson, gave this house to the club shortly after the club was founded. It was their family townhouse for years but they found it too expensive to maintain. Neither of them was here last night. They're having a very nice affair for all the members up in their country place in Cape. Check deduction seven and turn to 333. Feeling you've learned everything you can from Sir George, you thank him for the help and watch thoughtfully as he leaves the room. Turn to 278. All right. A whole day later, a whole murder to solve. 278. Strickland glances at his list, but obviously has already made his decision. The next man you should talk to is Thomas Sullivan. He tells you. He was playing chess with Sir George when the murder was 
discovered by Chambers. If you want to talk to Sullivan, 203, otherwise 513. I mean, why not, I guess? Well, why not? I guess we exactly, did learn. We, yeah, I guess there could be could be a limit to time, but I'm down. It, it, it feels like they will allow us to interview each of these suspects. They should. Uh, but Sullivan in particular, like especially having just cleared uh, his... I, I guess, hang on. From the person that uh, was playing, George Grant, who was playing with him, uh, we knew the extra detail of the previous owners of this house, the uh, Wayne and Grayson, I believe, um, previously owned the house and might have known about the trapdoors. So we might find something unexpected in this conversation, the absolute least. Yeah, I'm down. Even if we already know all the lore of the table. Yeah. 203. Sullivan is a tall and heavily built, but also but also seems alert. Sharp-eyed and observant, he politely acknowledges Strickland's introduction of you, then sits back to wait for your questions. I'd uh, like you to tell me what happened last night. You say to Sullivan. Uh, take all the time you need. Just tell me what you saw and heard. Sullivan smiles and then begins. I've heard and missed a major part of the excitement as Watson and Sir Terence had a good fight downstairs first. I knew nothing of what happened until Chambers started to scream. As you probably already know, I was playing chess with Sir George Grant, and both of us ran out of the room in the hall and followed Chambers into the billiard room. Chambers pointed to where Sir Terence was lying and stood around talking about what could have happened, especially after the other members came in. I glanced around after I came into the room, but I didn't really see anyone there who could have killed Milton. If you ask what Watson did after the alarm, 314. If you're finished with Sullivan, 448. Otherwise, 337. I... I don't know. Or I know that from another perspective, so I, I'm not certain it would be especially useful. Yeah, I feel like since... I, I don't... And I also don't care a, that much about how suspicious Watson seems, because I don't think it was him already. Yeah, exactly. The only reasons I want to investigate leads on Watson are to get clues and deductions yeah. that would later Clear. prove that he didn't do it. Yeah. So it, it, it is 314 or 337, either ask about the alarm or otherwise hoping that there's a question that maybe we wouldn't get otherwise by trying to elect to skip it. Mm-hmm. So okay, let's, let's try it. Let's do it. 314. Did you see Dr. Watson when he came into the room? You ask Sullivan. See you. He answers. Well, I didn't see him come right through the door. He must have come right behind us. As he's a physician, we made sure to let him look at St. Terence to confirm what we knew with half an eye that Milton was as dead as a doornail. And uh, how did Watson behave? You continue. He was very calm, given the circumstances. Sullivan replies. But then he wouldn't have worked with Sherlock Holmes if he wasn't a cool hand. Some of the men actually thought Watson could be the killer, if you can imagine that. Pick a number and add your observation. Needing a 7, getting a 11. 538 to 711. You wonder why he finds it so absurd that Watson should be suspected of murder if you ask him to explain 481, otherwise 337. I mean, if we're looking yeah, for something to clear, like... then maybe exactly. this... Exactly. Yeah. This is in the uh, exculpatory territory right here. Yeah, 481. You seem to believe that it's ridiculous to consider Watson a suspect in the murder. You tell Sullivan. 
<laughs> I was wondering if that pronunciation would tickle you. It's Why good. is that? All the evidence seems to point at him. Oh, uh, you see. He answers. You just put your finger right on top of it. Right smack on top of it. Watson's not a fool. He'd certainly do a better job of murder than this. He was to kill someone in cold blood. I don't say he'd be able to hide all the evidence, but he at least would have done it in a way that might confuse the matter. Aside from that, Watson couldn't kill a man in cold blood. It's totally out of character for the man. And if he lost his temper and smashed in the man's head in an argument, he wouldn't have summoned this up himself, because it'd be silly to pretend he hadn't. Pick a number and add your intuition. Needing a 7, getting 13. Intuited as hell, 240. Given his certainty that Watson is innocent of the murder, you wonder whether Sullivan suspects anyone. If you ask him what he suspects, if you're through with him, or otherwise blank. Uh, the well ask. for all of our previous roles have yeah. been the ability to ask who he suspects. Let's do it. 426. Yeah. As you're certain that Watson didn't kill Sir Terrence. You say to Sullivan. Who do you think killed him? Or at least had reason to kill him. Oh, Sir Terrence had a gift of making enemies. Sullivan replies. He cheated both Lord Howard and Alexander Lewis out of a great deal of money in his business shenanigans and laughed at them on top of it. He also flirted with married women, and husbands always resented him for it, of course. The Earl of Waynesborough was especially vehement in his comments, I believe. And, uh, I'm certain Sir Terence had business rivals who liked him, disliked him rather immensely. Turn to 337. It's a lot of leads. That is a lot of leads, and in particular... Uh, we note the name there of the Earl of Waynesborough, who was one of the previous owners of this house who would know about that trapdoor. True. True, true, correct. And 337 as well is the page that we otherwise could have turned to many, many moons ago. True, 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 true. Oh, oh, uh-oh. Forgot about this in the 24 hours. We try and think of other areas where Sullivan might know something useful if you've checked off Clusey. Turn to 521. We are absolutely kluke. You wonder if Sullivan had noticed the little table that was knocked over. If you ask him about the little table, 298, otherwise 455. It is an, such an intrusive thought at this point. Mm-hmm. I I mean, the, the fear is that we would, uh, I don't know, that it's the biggest red herring of all. Like, so red herring that it's like everything is being painted around the importance of this table. Well, I mean, the the importance of the table in the story so far seems to be that it could prove that Watson... It, it, it could be a large piece of evidence uh, to the support of Watson having not seen the body uh, if the table were not knocked over at the time that he left. We do know that the table was already upright when Chambers came into the room, so we don't know when it was knocked over. So we do still have a little about the story to you know, tease apart. It's just not the part that actually excuses Watson. Now it's just about who is untidy. Yeah. I mean, I'm in. 298 to find out who's untidy. In the billiard room, open in the windows, there was a little table that was knocked over. You say to Sullivan... Did you happen to notice it when you came into the room, or did someone bump into it later? Sullivan sits very still and concentrates for a minute or two, as though mentally cataloging every object in the room at the moment he entered it. You mean the little table by the easy chair nearest the windows? He asks, and you nod. Oh, that was knocked over when I came in. He said firmly. 
I wondered what had happened to it. Chambers wouldn't have come near it when he ran out of the room, and neither Grant nor I touched it when we ran in. But it was knocked over when I entered the room. Do you have any idea what could have happened to it? You ask? Eh, well, I just thought it won. He answers. Oh, I guess my idea is kind of far-fetched. If someone killed Sir Terence before Watson came into the room and hid behind the drapes while Watson was sitting there, he might have run across the room to hide behind the door when Chambers ran out into the hall and screamed for help. Then the killer either mingled with the rest of us or slipped out into the hall when we were all looking down at the body. Check off clue L and turn to 455. Hmm. Hmm. That's what? actually really useful information. <laughs> yeah, it, no. it's, it could be. The, the weirdness I feel from it is due to the secret escape hatch that we know about. Yes, exactly. We can piece together additional pieces that he doesn't know about here. Yeah, because maybe the uh, killer did not slip out into the hall, but instead went down there. You know, like, mm -hmm. or maybe he was, yeah, he was not behind the curtains, but he came out there and then he mingled and went out the hall. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of feels like in the future we'll be given the opportunity to check whether or not someone could hide behind the curtains without having to try and use Strickland as our model to do so. Uh, and that'll be cleared as a possibility, and then it'll be like, oh, I guess we can't have done it in the way Thomas Sullivan said, but you can. There's just a trap door you didn't know about. Yeah, I, I feel like we're going to be getting asked for a check of Clue L plus Clue Trapdoor. Yeah. Also, uh, for what's this worth, th this does give us additional information on the timeline with respect to the table that is relevant, which is to say there's supposedly no one in the room between Chambers and the entry of Sullivan and Grant. However, the table was knocked over in that period of time, so we know that there had to have been another person in that room at that point in time. Yes. Which is probably something we've already assumed, but we have more proof to back it up. It's mm. 455. <gasps> Oh, is this... You catalog the evidence carefully, trying to remember if there's anything else you should ask Sullivan. If you check clue G, 389, otherwise 448. Is that the trapdoor? Clue G is the trapdoor on the billiards, exactly. Clue 389. You think of the trapdoor out of the room and wonder if the observant Sullivan has noticed it. If you ask about the trapdoor, 319, otherwise 448. I mean, same deal as last time. It's not our house. We don't care about the yeah, safety exactly. <laughs> at this point. A murder's already happened. What are we going to be... Yeah, 319. Did you know there was a trap door in the floor under the billiard room? You ask Sullivan. Directly under the table, in fact. A trap door? He answers. You don't say so. Ugh, what nothing. I never imagined there was such a thing in this place. Do you have any idea who might have known? You continue. No, I don't. It's a fairly old house, after all. Turn to 448. Well... No perception check of any kind on that seems to metagame imply wasn't this guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which I wasn't feeling like it was. No, he. Th there is a, uh, a, a. In the mental cataloging of the scene, I was immediately kind of just mentally clearing this man. Of yeah. Like, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> you wouldn't try and reconstruct it th that intentionally afterwards. Mm hmm. Feels like you'd already have an alibi ready to go. Yeah. You thank Sullivan for his patience and helpful answers to your questions, and he assures you there was no trouble and is happy to have been of help. Turn to 513. Strickland consults his list again, pauses to think, and then nods. Uh, the next man is Lord Howard. He announces. 
He was downstairs talking with the other members when this was all going on. Now, I hope you'll treat him with courtesy that his rank deserves. Any signs of rudeness commonly associated with detectives will lead to instant termination in the interview. You understand me? If you wish to talk to Lord Howard, 271, otherwise 137. Let's be, let's mm -hmm. call me rude. <clears throat> Lord Howard, you're ugly. <laughs> Just immediately walk in the room. I haven't even seen him yet. Lord Howard. <laughs> Where <laughs> you're walking on, you're on your cell phone. Uh, hold on one minute. I have to, I have to have an interview with this ugly man. Oh, you're here. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was about you. <laughs> <laughs> that was about a different, um, even uglier man than you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, compared to you, no, compared this to you. person. Yeah. Ooh. I mean, so the weather, huh? Uh, Lord Howard immediately gives you the impression that he is fortunate to have inherited, to have an inherited income. Though tall and handsome, with distinguished-looking gray hair, the peer is obviously he's not the wisest man in London. He has the calm assumption of superiority with the aristocracy, often substituting for intelligence. You doubt that he has observed the details of the evening's events, but he might be a having a useful opinion of the late Sir Terence. If you ask for this opinion, 133, otherwise 295. Sure, gotta be 133. Uh, thank you for your time, your lordship. You begin? As I was establishing what happened last night, I'm also trying to understand why it happened. Yes. He answers puzzled. You nod encouragingly. Yeah, my lord. What I'd like you to tell me is what kind of man Sir Terence was. This'll help me get some kind of a hint as to why he was murdered. Oh, why he was murdered. The peer chuckles. He was murdered because someone didn't like him. <laughs> now, why they didn't, I'm not at all quite certain, for he was a nice enough fellow to me. He came from a good family, of course. His father made a baronet for service in the Crimea, and that should have helped him along. Oh, but he was a woefully bad businessman. A number of us lost money in his companies, but losing a few hundred pounds in a man's business is hardly grounds for bashing in his head. Turn to 295. You wonder if he knows anything you haven't heard about the fight between Watson and Sir Terence. If you ask about the fight, 411. Questioning Lord Howard, 561. Otherwise, 130. Hmm. It is again one of the weird things where it's like, yeah, I don't, I feel like we've heard about the fight enough. Mm hmm. And I don't know if this character would have any unique perspective yeah. on the fight to share for us. And we're also not supposed to make him mad, we were told. Mm hmm. So maybe, I think this maybe could be... the play here is to skip all of the questions we don't think are relevant until we get yeah. to the very end. Yeah, so the 130. The one that we wouldn't have reached otherwise. I'm down for 130. Do it. You consider what other questions to ask Lord Howard. You wonder what he was doing when he heard, of, heard Chambers' shouts of alarm. If you ask him what he was doing, 437, through with him, 561, otherwise 508. Hmm. I mean... I feel like the, a very quick way to anger somebody is to imply that they might have done it. And that may be how he takes asking what he was doing during the murder. I think it's possible he could take it that way, but also it is yeah. kind of useful information about place setting of where other people were and what they were doing. Sure. I, I hope that we are capable of explaining to him. No, I'm just trying to rule out other suspects. Like, did you see anyone who didn't do it? <laughs> While you were not doing it? Yeah. 
that's the kind of thing where if it was me asking the question, I'd be down. But yeah, uh, let's let's do it. Four thirty-seven. Uh, think back to last night, please, your lordship. You say, trying to set up your questions properly. What were you doing when Chambers ran out of the billiard hall, creaming, screaming <laughs> bloody murder? Hey, tell me everything you can recall in detail, please. Of course, sir. Of Lord course. Howard answers eagerly, but then a puzzled look covers his face. But you know, sir, that night is difficult to remember because of the sight of all Sir Terence was so shocking that it drove out all previous events of my mind. I shan't be able to give you a very detailed description. Hey, don't worry, sir. You reply. Anything might help. Lord Howard concentrates for a moment and then says... I was downstairs at the time, in the lounge, uh, talking with some of the other members, just chatting about various things. Uh, we'd be going at it for quite some time when the servant called out, and we all ran upstairs. When we got to the billiards room, Sir Terence was lying over in the corner, but I didn't notice much. There was too much noise and confusion and such. Then the police came, and we all went home very late. If you ask who he was talking to downstairs for 3, otherwise 229, that seems like a harmless question to me. Yeah, exactly. That feels like the way to make clear, hey, I'm trying to rule off other suspects. Yeah. Who were you talking with when the alarm sounded? You urge. Uh, which members were with you? Oh, I don't know. Howard answers testily. We'd been talking some little time and then drifted in and out of the conversation. I didn't exactly keep a list, you understand. No, you detective chappies expected us to keep one. If you've checked off clue M, have we? No, we have not, unfortunately. Then otherwise turn to 229. You consider whether Lord Howard knows anything more that might be of use, and whether he can remember any... Remember it if he does. Ooh, if you don't want to ask him anything, 561, if you've checked off clue C at the table. Otherwise, 508. I don't really want to ask him about the table. Especially because he purports to know basically nothing. If he doesn't know who he talked to, he's not going to remember if a table was flipped over. Yeah, I I would not be surprised if this was the trigger to anger him. Yeah, let's go 508. You turn the evidence over in your mind, trying to think of anything useful Lord Howard might know. Clue G turned to 328, otherwise 561. That's our trapdoor. That's the trapdoor. Even a lord should be interested in the existence of a trapdoor. Yeah, I, I, I would say so. You think about the trapdoor in the billiard room floor and wonder if Lord Howard knows anything about it. I feel like he doesn't, but it's so... We had to succeed on a lot of checks to get it, and therefore I feel like it has to be important. And I know that yeah, might be silly. But it's like in a point-and-click game where there's an item you worked really hard for, and then you rub that item on every other item in the universe, because whatever it does, it's gotta be important. Yep. Use broken lamp window. Use broken lamp doorway. Use broken lamp lap, lamp fixing kit. Nope. It, it was so hard to get this broken lamp. You yeah. don't understand. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna ask about the trapdoor then, as a result? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If he gets mad, he gets mad. Screw him. Did you know there was a trap door in the billiards room floor? You ask. Who oh, is there? Lord Howard answers. <laughs> no, no, no. You're just having a spot of fun with me, aren't you? This is a London club, not some bizarre place out in the country. You had me believing you there for a moment. He chuckles at the very idea. Turn to 561. I oh, mean, we've entertained him. 
it entertained him, and it doesn't seem like the reply of a murderer. Unless. It's exactly the reply of a murderer. Book him! Cough him! Yep. Send him! Hang him! Immediately! Whoa. <laughs> oh, boy! <laughs> Satisfied that you've learned everything possible from Lord Howard, you thank him. He leaves the room, turn to 137. Okay. Strickland scribbles away on his sheet of paper for a minute, then says... Thanks, man. Sorry, I apologize. I started speaking too early, but the next man you might want to talk to is Mr. John Howard, former naval officer and a member of this club. Do you want to see him? If you want to see John Howard, 192, otherwise 407. Is this person related to the previous Lord Howard? Oh, maybe. <laughs> I guess I, I don't know. We can... I'm happy to see him regardless, and the text will probably explain it, so I'll, I'll jump forward to that. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. John Howard comes in. He's a big, hard-faced man who has grown fat since his days in the Navy. He carries the weight easily, however, and his sharp eyes suggest that self-indulgence has not slowed his mind. Uh, thank you for staying and talk with me. You begin. I know you to be a busy man, Mr. Howard. Not too busy to oblige Mr. Strickland. He answers. Though it's all pretty much a waste of time, isn't it? I gathered the evidence points straight at John Watson. You wonder what parts of the case he can help you understand. If you ask his opinion of Sir Terence, 172, otherwise 128. 172, I'll meet you there. We were not told to not anger this guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, to understand the way Sir Terence was killed. You explain. I need to understand what kind of man he was. Can you tell me what you knew of him? <laughs> I immediately forgot what Howard's voice was. Damn it. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna say it's close to. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's like that. So <laughs> Terrence was a pleasant enough man. Howard replies. Though he could have a mean tongue and his head when irritated, a good clubman though was always willing to chat or have a sit-in on a hand of whist. Did you have any business dealings with him? You ask. No, no. Howard answers. That wouldn't have been. Wise. When he ran his business big enough to be worth the effort of investment, he also ran it so badly that no sensible person would risk their money. Uh, so you're saying he was a poor businessman? You ask? Well, at least I hope he was. He answers. If not, he was a villainous one. Uh, there were whispers about him, but nothing definite ever came of it. I enjoyed his companionship and avoided risking any money with him. Pick a number and add intuition. Needing a seven... Getting a nine to 67. I love the roles of uh, the needing a seven. It's honestly, it seems pretty easy to hit because mm -hmm. average number and you have a plus one on average, you're going to make that. It's nice. Beats the minus ones. <laughs> no kidding. You wonder. Minus twos, no doubt. Oh, yeah. You wonder whether the other members of the three continents shared Howard views of sure Terrence's business skills. If you ask if other members invested with Sir Terence, turn to 215, otherwise 128, it feels definitely relevant. Like, it does. The the motive, the only motive we can, well, I mean, there's a couple, I guess, because there was, the biggest motive seems to be, like, with losing money, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. 215. So you didn't invest with Sir Terence. You continue. Do you know if your fellow members shared your opinion of Sir Terence's skills? Others in the club invest with him? <laughs> Did they share my views? 
he answers, laughing harshly. <laughs> It'd be a boring club indeed if all the members share the same views on such matters. No, 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 I think he convinced a number of them to invest with him. I knew, had, he knew rather how to make his company sound good, even if he didn't really know how to make him work when the money was collected. Do you know who invested with him? You continue. Oh, a number of the chaps did. You continue. Wait, he answers. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Watson lost something on the last company. The Earl of Waynesboro was another of them. I believe Alexander Lewis actually made the mistake of uh, trusting Sir Terrence twice. <laughs> and of course, there's Christopher Marshall. I'm certain he must have invested a good bit with Sir Terrence. He certainly urged enough other people to do so. Check deductions 8 and 13. Wait, Christopher Christopher Marshall urged other people to invest with Sir Terence? Mm-hmm. 128. Uh, Marshall urged investment. <clears throat> What's the other thing we've learned here? I guess the list of names who've invested. Yeah. Or maybe just that, like, he is commonly believed to be a bad businessman. Maybe. Mm -hmm. You look over Howard and, Howard and wonder whether he has noticed anything that the other witnesses might have missed. You ask him to describe the evening, 144. If you're through questioning, 129. Otherwise, 429. Wait, 129. Otherwise, 429. I mean, I'm down to. I feel like he's been useful yeah. so far. What do you know about the evening? Hey, can you tell me what you saw last night? You ask Howard. Well, of course I can, sir. Of course I can. He replies. That's what this is all about, isn't it? I oh. understand that the problem began over cards. That Sir Terrence inserted Dr. Watson and Dr. Watson knocked him down. I didn't see the fight myself, but I saw Sir Terence. You could see a lump swelling up right between his eyes. Uh, he chatted with some of us after it happened, and looked at the clock, excused himself, and went upstairs. Ooh. And when was this? Uh, you ask. Uh, just before nine. Uh, he acted so much like a man with an appointment that I paid particular interest at the time myself. After he left, some of us stayed around talking until Chambers started screaming for help after he'd found the body. Turn to 429. That's interesting, because this, this tends to suggest that Sir Terence might have been the recipient of that uh, message that uh, was found in the billiards hall and might have been waiting for exactly nine to meet someone in the billiards hall. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, you think about what more you might learn from Howard. If you ask him what he saw when Chambers called out, 161, if you're done with questioning, otherwise blank. Yeah? Yeah. He seems to be maybe like one of the most valuable accounts so far, <laughs> which is, uns uh, I, I did not sus suspect it. What did you see, Mr. Howard? You ask. When Chambers yelled and you ran upstairs. Howard thinks only a minute and then says. But all of us who were talking ran upstairs into the billiards room. Uh, when we ran in, Sullivan and Grant were in the room, standing, and Watson was kneeling over the body, making sure he was dead, I suppose. Uh, he'd waved the others back to protect the evidence, and Sullivan had backed off so much, I think he'd knocked over a little table. Ooh. Halfway across the room. Uh, leastways, it was knocked over when Sullivan was standing close to it. I kept a close eye on Watson, from then on, of course, uh, but I wasn't really sure whether he was trying to protect the evidence or keep his back while he destroyed his traces. This man is solving all of our problems. He's I like, love it. Yes, the table was knocked over when I saw it knocked over by this person. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, that's so nice. 
when uh, when we ask who he was talking to downstairs, he's gonna say, "Oh, uh, I, the I, killer." I was talking to Watson. Uh, the, the, the killer was upstairs <laughs> killing him. His name is this, and here's his address. Uh, uh, if you yeah, if you ask who he's talking to, two twenty nine, two ninety nine. I'm down. I'm down. Let's do it. This guy's great. Do you remember whom you were talking with downstairs? You ask. Uh, that is, who was there when Chambers sounded the alarm? I remember precisely, sir. Howard answers. I was talking with Sir Lord Howard and uh, Edward Lawrence. Lewis and... Ma Sir Lord? No, Lord Howard and with Edward Lawrence. Lewis and Martin had been in with us, but they both had engagements and left the club before we learned of the murder. All three of us ran up the stairs together and I was the first one into the billiards room. Check clue O and turn to 190. Lewis and Martin had been with us, but they both had engagements, left the club before we learned of the murder. So those are those two are possible. Mm-hmm. 190. You try and think of other questions that sh you should ask Howard. What other useful things might he know? You've checked clue G, 510. Ah, yes, the, the trap door. The one that was used by the murderer because... Yeah. So, I mean, yes. You know, I actually caught him down there and beat him to death. <laughs> <laughs> Case is over. I put him in permanent jail. Hell. <laughs> you wonder whether Howard knew about the trap door. If you ask him about it, 327, let's do it. Absolutely. Did you know there was a trap door hidden in the billiards room floor? You ask? <laughs> trap door? No. I didn't know anything about a trap door. He answers. I must admit that it doesn't surprise me much. He adds. These old houses are loaded with all sorts of hidden passages. Very useful, they were, the housekeepers who kept mistresses or needed to hide from the law. Uh, now the members would be most likely to know that the trapdoor would uh, exist. I mean, that'd be Lord Grayson and his father, the, the Earl of Waynesborough. Uh, the, the Earl gave the house to the club when it became too expensive for his family to maintain. But of course, neither of them was within 40 miles of here last night. Check deduction 7, turn to 129. How does mm, is he gonna tell us? We got before. Is he gonna tell us how, why he knows they're forty miles away? Because if we, if the Earl of Wayne's oh yes, um, so we know that uh, a large amount of the club had accepted an invite to a function being held elsewhere that weekend, uh, and that most of the club is uh, is has a solid alibi of I was with all of these other people 40 miles away gotcha 129 you're satisfied that you've learned everything that john howard knows you thank him for his time and his help and he acknowledges you with a quick nod before leaving what a guy turn to 407 absolute champion he should be the new sherlock holmes now that he's definitely 100 percent dead you yep you betcha <laughs> Before summoning the next witness, Strickland has Johnson bring in a light meal of apples, cheese, biscuits, and sandwiches, insisting that you need a break from this stress, questioning witness after witness. Given his earlier hostility, you suspect that he's hungry himself. <laughs> Once you have eaten, he consults his list and says that Captain Edward Lawrence of the Royal Engineers is the next witness. If you talk to him, 421, otherwise 380. Absolutely. While we know that Edward Lawrence was downstairs from the detailed account that we just received, uh, Lawrence might be able to tell us more about the timeline and other things. Captain Lawrence comes in, a hard-faced, pugnacious-looking man, striding with the firm, disciplined step of his professional of a professional soldier. When he seats himself at your invitation, he practically sits at attention. 
He's obviously not happy to be here, and you realize you must choose your questions carefully. If you ask his opinion of Sir Terrence, 586, otherwise 305. Hmm. I think that's an appropriate opening question. I don't think that should anger him too much. Yeah. 586. As you know, Captain. You begin. I'm investigating the death of Sir Terence Milton, who was murdered here last night. I'd appreciate it very much if you'd tell me what you thought of Sir Terence. What kind of man was he? Sir Terence. He answers, surprised. His character doesn't much matter more, does it? But I hardly knew the man. I couldn't tell you anything of use. If you try and get him to say more, 413. No. Uh, otherwise, 305. No. no. 305. He might kill me. <laughs> I don't know. He's got a stark demeanor to him. You run over the evidence in your mind and try and decide what Captain Lawrence might know. If you ask what happened before the murder, 381, nothing further, 436, pause for a moment to decide, 101. Huh. Pause for a moment That's to a different decide. way of, yeah. Maybe he'll get up and leave, because I, ah, good, a moment of, a break <laughs> in the questioning. Goodbye. You're not laying down a suppressive fire of questions. I'm gone. <laughs> you have not stunlocked me. <laughs> okay. I mean, you wanted to know about the the timeline. 381 is a timeline question. Let's do it. I'm just so confused by the, the structure of the other one. Yeah. So I'm just trying to get the course of last night's events clear in my mind. You tell Lawrence. I'd appreciate it if you could tell me what happened before you heard of the murder. Before the murder. He butters. Well, I'll do my best, sir. Uh, I just had dinner at Simpsons, and they came around the club just before nine. Almost immediately, I entered the lounge, and I met a couple of my fellow members talking excitedly about a fight over cards. So Terence was amongst them, and I could see from a glance that he'd lost the fight. <laughs> he had a nasty lump in the middle of his forehead. His clothes weren't sitting properly. Obviously, he'd been knocked down. Not long after I arrived, just a couple of minutes before nine, he made excuses and went upstairs. From the way he looked at the clock, it was almost as if he had an appointment with somebody. Uh, who, I don't know. Uh, I was looking up the hall when I was talking down to the others, and I saw Dr. Watson go upstairs a few minutes later, just after the clock chimed nine. Turn to 101. Oh, okay, so we end up here anyway. Good. What's 101? <laughs> hmm. Pause for a moment, pondering further questions you might ask Captain Lawrence. Does the officer hold the key to unlocking the investigation? Should you ask him further questions? Ask what he did when he heard of the murder, 335. If you're done with Lawrence, 436. Otherwise, 111. That's timeline info. All right, 335. So what were you doing when you heard the servant call out? You ask Lawrence. The captain hardly pauses to think. No, oh, it was downstairs, sir. He answers. I was talking with some of the other members. When we heard the man yelling, naturally we all ran upstairs. In the billiards room, we found Dr. Ne uh, Dr. Watson rather kneeling over the body and some other men watching him. Even at ten feet, I could see that Sir Terence was dead. From then on, I kept an eye on my fellow members to see if anyone acted oddly. I'm afraid I didn't pay much attention to the scene of the crime, though. If you ask who he was talking to downstairs, 217, otherwise 569. I mean, we kind of know, but... Hmm. Maybe. Some... I mean, let's get double confirmation. What did yeah, the other guys Yeah, maybe something lie? doesn't line up. Yeah. I would hate yeah, that. Yeah, you were downstairs when you heard of the murder. You say slowly, making a show of checking your notes, and Lawrence nods impatiently. Do you remember to whom you were talking? You ask. He thinks carefully for a minute or so, as though ordering the facts very carefully in his mind. When the servant screamed, I was talking to two men. He says finally. 
Lord Howard and Mr. Howard. Uh, there'd been some others in the conversation, but they'd left for engagements of their own. Uh, the three of us ran upstairs, and then the servant, when, rather, the servant started screaming. Check clue O, turn to 569. Eh, what I expected. Yeah. You think through what Lawrence has said to you, and you wonder whether you should ask him about anything else. If you're done with Lawrence, 436, if you check clue C, you want to talk about the table, 582, otherwise 116. I don't think we should bring up the table to him. He just mentioned that he didn't pay much attention to the crime scene itself. It's true, but I do think we should actually go to 582 and then say no, just in case, because I feel like there might... Ah, yep, I like it. Unless... Oh, it doesn't give us the option. It does still take us to 116 afterwards, though. So Okay, yeah. Because the last one... The last, like, three times it's been an option, it's been like, you go there and then it goes... Don't bring up the table. So I don't know exactly, why this yeah. one. So that's why I thought, uh, whatever. <clears throat> you remember the little table lying on his side, and you wonder if Lawrence noticed it. There was one odd thing in the billiards room. You say to the captain, and he looks at you with an interested gleam in his eyes. A little table over near the, the armchair near the windows was knocked over sometime during the evening. Did you notice when this happened? Uh, whether this had happened, rather, before he came in the room? Lawrence shakes his head. I can't say that I did, sir. Uh, I was trying to watch all the men rather than physical things. Uh, but all the men who were milling around that room, I wouldn't have been surprised if one of them bumped into it without noticing what he'd done. Turn to 116. You try and think of any more questions you should ask Captain Lawrence. He's a man who that obviously requires some careful handling. Uh, if you check clue G, trap door 324, otherwise 436. Sure, right? Absolutely. We're nearing the end of this talk. If he gets mad now, who cares? Well, I, again, I stand by. It is a, a, a frankly absurd reaction to hear about a trapdoor and then go, I'm uninterested in that. Yeah. What? On what world? Did you know there was a trapdoor under the billiard table? You ask. He looks surprised at you and then laughs. <laughs> you have done your homework, sir. He laughs. No, oh, I think it was a waste of your time. The trap only leads into the club secretary's office, and no man trying to hide couldn't come safely out of that room. He wouldn't know if anyone was in the hall, because the office has a solid door. Strickland stares at Lawrence in shock, and demands- Edward. What? And demands- Edward. How did you know- <laughs> Edward. How'd you know that trap door? I didn't learn of it until tonight myself. The captain laughs a self-satisfied laugh. <laughs> Lord Grayson told me. He explains. One night when he was drunk, uh, he had an idea that we might play a joke on the secretary, but we deducted it with too much trouble. Check deduction five and deduction seven. Do we know who the secretary is? Uh, great question. I believe we do, and I don't remember. So I'm going to, before going to 436, roll back up to our cast list at the top, which will mention their name actually we don't it's not there or the name's not it's not there um yeah so i, I don't think we actually know the name of the secretary because i also failed to pull it from memory and all of these other people have additional roles that are much more impactful mm -hmm. all right cool 436 you thank captain lawrence for his help and he bows and marches out of the room turn to 380 I'm loving how few of these uh, suspects we're burning. Yeah. Strickland looks down at his list and sighs deeply. 
<sighs> Thank goodness. He butters. We're almost finished with this business. Uh, next up is Thomas Martin. He was in the Whist Gang with Sir Terrence and Watson. You want to talk to him? If you interview Martin, 537, otherwise 239. Sure. Absolutely. Martin comes into the room, a slender, brisk man with white hair and bright eyes. He's obviously eager to talk. <laughs> so they've engaged you to look into last night's murder, have they? He laughs. <laughs> well, I would have thought this was one the case for the Scotland Yard men could solve without help. It, uh, it appears simple to you, then. You reply, hoping to draw him out. I hate to say it, because he's a nice man, Martin says. But it looked painfully obvious to me that John Watson had murdered Sir Terence. Just bad luck, I'd say. Sir Terence outraged him when they were playing cards, and Watson left to cool it off, and I think they found themselves in the billiard room by accident and probably took up their argument again, with no one else there to control them. It ended in tragedy. If you ask him to describe the fight, 377. If you don't ask him any more questions, 570. Otherwise, 415. I, mean, I want to know more about this fight. I think there's going to be like a line that they you know, threw at one another in the midst of it that's going to be important that we haven't dug at enough. Like, it's true. I want to know more. Tell me the name of the singer. I want to talk to her. I also feel like this is the, um, this is the person to pry at because they are eager to talk. Yeah. 377. You were in the game of whist with uh, Watson and Sir Terrence. You say slowly. Could you describe the fight between them? Martin smiles and launches into a story he's obviously kept bottled up for hours. He begins with the last hand of whist and offers a card-by-card -card description of the play. Watson was in rare form, he adds. Outguessed Sir Paul Terrence three times in one hand of cards. Oh, when he was paying off afterwards, Sir Terrence commented that Watson must be able to read the cards through the back to play so well. Watson was livid that Sir Terence made a remark about a lady friend of the doctor's. And then they began to fight. You interject. Oh no, they had to blag at one another for a bit of time, actually, before Watson punched him. And how to call it a fight, really. Martin adds. Watson threw one punch and it was over. You think about what he said. Pick a number and add your intuition. Needing an eight, getting an eight. Seven plus one, five thirty. You wonder if Martin noticed exactly what Watson and Sir Terence did after the fight. If you ask him what they did, 533, otherwise 415. Sure, right? Especially, I think any instance where we succeed a thing, it's probably worth just yes. pursuing. What did they do after the fight, Mr. Martin? You ask, trying to sound cash. Did they shake hands and apologize in the customary fashion, or was there another barrage of insults? Martin looks surprised at the question and then laughs. <laughs> oh, they had no chance to either. He finally says. Sir Terence stayed on the floor for a minute or two, trying to be certain that everything was still attached as it should be, so to speak. And while Mr. Lewis and I made certain everything was all right, Chris Marshall hustled Watson out of the room. A smart idea on Chris's part, too, to let them cool down a bit. Just unlucky that they happened to run into each other again, and there was no one to keep it from getting nasty. And what did Sir Terence do after you got him back onto his feet? You continue. We went in the lounge and had a go at the port. Martin replies. There were some other fellows in there when we chatted about them with the fight. Uh, Sir Terence slipped off upstairs before long, and then I had to leave. I was to meet a friend for cards at the Bagatelle at ten, and I wanted to be on time. I played with Cal uh, Colonel Moran, and he insists that his companions be punctual. The old military value shining through, you know. Check Clue P, and turn to 415. 
Um, what have we learned from that, though? Let's see. The, he Chris, left afterwards? That doesn't seem relevant. Chris Marshall hustled Watson out of the room. We knew that Sir already. Terrence went upstairs. He had to meet friend for cards at 10. I don't... I guess I don't fully know. He had, he laid on the floor for a few minutes. Yeah, I've, I've written down effectively, this clue means fight, comma, port, comma, nine o'clock. That is the order of things. The fight occurs, he stays downstairs to have some port until he realizes it's nine o'clock and he goes upstairs. Yeah, I don't know, 4.15. Consider other questions that it would be wise to ask Martin. You wonder if he can remember what which men talked together after the card game broke up. If you ask who was in that group, 396. If you're finished questioning Martin, turn to 570. I mean, sure, right? He's eager. You hunt for the proper phrasing of your question. If I understand things correctly, you say, a group of gentlemen talked together in the lounge after the card game and the fight. Can you remember who was in that group, Mr. Martin? Martin stops to think and then answers. Oh, I can't say with certainty, sir, but we didn't really stop to take notes, of course. I, I know Watson wasn't there, and Sir Terrence left after only a few minutes. Both the Howards were there. I believe that Alex Lewis was still around. Oh, Captain Lawrence came in right after I told the story of the fight once. I had to repeat it again for his sake. Uh, there might have been others. Turn to 235. You must decide whether it's useful to ask Martin further questions. He cannot tell you anything about the scene in the billiard room because he left before the body was discovered. If you've checked, if you check clue G, 125, sure, right? Mm-hmm, that's the trap, trap door. door. Uh, if you ask him about the trap door, 340. Uh, did you hear? You say to Martin. That when Mr. Strickland and I searched the billiards floor, we found a trap door. Uh, did you know there was such a thing in the building? Oh, trap door. He answers, clearly surprised. Oh, who would have guessed? Uh, no, I never heard such things about this old club. I'll tell you who would know, though. The Earl of Waynesborough gave a house to the club, and his son, Lord Grayson's also a member. They'd both be very likely to. You and MacDonald agree that you... Wait, what? Mm. It looks like the end of this is uh, cut off. Hmm. So, without this being able to tell us which other page to go to, because the text literally just ends there on this scan, we should probably go back and take the path where we don't ask him about the I uh, trapdoor. fully agree. Uh, mm. <laughs> let us pause and figure that out. 570, instead, because it's actually in the book. Is mm. that the, that's the second time that's happened in this, in this one. That's strange. Yeah, one of them was cut off, and then one entry just was not contiguous with the number Yeah, was. one wasn't real, also, yeah. Yeah, one wasn't even in the book. <laughs> yeah. This book has bugs. It, it, it's, that's what you said. It's true. Uh, you can think of no further questions that for Mr. Martin, and you thank him for his time and cooperation. It's been a pleasant talk, regardless of whether or not you learned anything of value in the course of it. Turn to three, two, thirty-nine. Strickland gets up and takes a turn or two across the room, stretching his arms a little as he does. After this brief bit of exercise, he returns to his chair, picks up his list, and tells you that, tells you that Alexander Lewis is the next witness. If you'd like to talk to Lewis, 568, otherwise 306. Sure. Absolutely. I'm keen. 568. Is this the last person as well? He said we were getting near the end. Usually they say when someone's the last person. Mm. I don't know. Alexander Lewis comes to the room, takes a chair without being asked. 
He's a tall, handsome man with dark, thick hair. He seems younger than most of the men you've interviewed. You have the feeling that he is not one of the intellectual leaders of the club. Well. He begins. I wasn't sure if you'd want to see me or not, sir, but I'm very pleased to see you decided to see me. Uh, oh? You reply, a touch surprised. Uh, why is that? Well? He says, smiling. You know, I wasn't there when they found Sir Terence's body, so... I didn't really see anything that could be called evidence, but I'm excited anyway, don't you know, for I've never talked to a detective before. You pause and consider the best questions for this cheerful soul. I love him. I love him instantly. Yep. I mean, 547 to ask if he saw the fight. Otherwise, I mean, let's get all the dialogue. We can't add them. 547. Absolutely. 547. Uh, did you see the fight between Dr. Watson and Sir Terrence? You ask. I didn't exactly see it, though I was in the room. Lewis replies. Uh, what do you mean? You ask. I was sitting in the corner, reading a paper while the others were playing whist. I tried to ignore it when Watson and Sir Terence were started insulting one another, but I found I couldn't. I looked up to try and quieten him, and I saw Sir Terence swallowed over backwards. Watson went off somewhere, and the rest of us chatted over the lounge for a while. If you ask who we talked to, 516, otherwise 347. 516. Who did you talk to after the fight? You ask Lewis. Oh, how should I know? He answers a little frustrated. What? It was just a group of us there, chatting together. I had to leave soon anyway, as I was already late for an appointment. If you ask his opinion of Sir Terence, 5358, you're done, 311, otherwise 246. What'd you think of the dead man? Uh, you've known Sir Terence for some time, hadn't you? You ask, and Lewis nods. Would you give me your opinion of him, please? You continue. Just generally, what sort of man was he? I guess I can say something. He says, obviously reluctant. You won't think badly of me, if it doesn't sound right, I hope. I have no intention of speaking ill of the dead, but it may come out sounding that way. I understand. You say, and Strickland hurriedly echoes you. Very well. Lewis continues. I wanted to be certain of that, because I'm not at all sure that my opinion of the man does him justice. I mean, you see, I lost rather a large amount of money in two of his companies, and I do think a man shouldn't go into business unless he knows what he's doing. And I had heard, definitely, that both companies had excellent potential. They were opportunities that could hardly go wrong. So I put quite a lot into the ventures and lost virtually all of my investment. So... Why'd you do it a second time? <laughs> the man seemed gullible. Yeah. Pick a number and add your intuition. Only needing a seven. Oh, and only getting Not a getting six. It. The second half that I say I love sevens because it's always, yeah, that's just how it, how it be. 246. Wait, really? You wonder if Lewis knows anything else of interest. It's useless to ask him about the murder scene, of course, as he's left the club before the body was discovered. Trapdoor? 102. Hmm. 311, otherwise. 102. You wonder if Lewis knew anything about the trapdoor in the billiard room. If you ask, 197, otherwise 311. Why not, right? Let's do it. Uh, did you know there was a trapdoor in the billiards room? You ask Lewis. For a moment, he sits as though thunderstruck, then shakes himself and smiles. My, my. He says. There is some truth to the stories they tell about you detectives, isn't there? Fancy you finding that. And thought of that trapdoor and 20 years. I was a boy. 
My father, who would bring me here when he visited the Earl of Wainsborough? And Lord Grayson and I would play many a game involving that trapdoor. I don't know if I could even find it myself anymore. Check deduction 7 and 29. Are those different than ones we've had? Uh, yes. So 7 is uh, that Wayne and Grayson owned the house beforehand. We had that. We did not know uh, that Lewis had, uh, which I assume is our extra deduction here, that Lewis was also familiar with it. Turn to 311. Though you have asked him everything you want to learn from him, Lewis continues to chat with you for a few minutes more, tossing around various wild ideas of how the murder occurred. Finally, amidst a cheerful exchange of compliments, you thank him for his help, and then he leaves. Turn to 306. Oh, you think a bird did it? I think <laughs> a bird flew in. I just absolutely caved the man's head in and then flew out of the window. Have you ruled out a ghost? The window the outside. <laughs> yes. Have we ruled Actually, out the paranormal? Ever consider the fact that the man may have had a caved-in head? <laughs> I he might have, have just arrived to the club with a caved-in head and we didn't even notice. Out of respect to the back of his skull there. <laughs> All right, 305. 305? Yeah, let's do it. Oh, uh, 306, Six. I believe it is. Yes. Strickland heaves a deep sigh of relief, glances at his list to confirm something, and then smiles at you. <sighs> You'll be pleased to know, he says. That only one more witness remains to be interviewed. Who is it? You ask, standing and stretching to get rid of some stiffness. Christopher Marshall, a very good friend of Dr. Watson. Strickland answers. He was in that game of whist, as you know, and when Johnson brought us our light meal, he told me that Marshall had just arrived at the club. He had some business at government offices. It couldn't wait. You wonder if you're learning anything of use from Marshall or whether it'll be a waste of time to talk to him. Dr. Marshall, 369, otherwise 143. Let's stop I mean, Let's do it. Absolute. Marshall comes into the room. He's a man of medium height, but built rather powerfully with huge, strong hands. The impression of raw power is moderated, however, by his warm smile. You remember that he was in the whist game with Watson and Sir Terrence and wonder what he'll tell you about the fight. If you ask about the fight, 548, otherwise turn to 112. It could be interesting to know what happened after he ushered watson out yeah exactly so 548 i'm pleased you could talk to me you say to marshall i'd appreciate it if you could describe the argument between dr watson and sir terrence ah he's stunned from the beginning he chuckles <sighs> very well we've been playing for some time and i must say that watson played much better than he usually does he outplayed sir terrence several times uh, finally, Watson and I won with a rubber slam on the last hand, and he made two fitnesses through Sir Terence's hand that were almost miraculous. And Sir Terence commented about it? You ask? Oh, he did indeed. Marshall answers. He said that Watson could read the back of the cards just as well as the front, and then Watson answered that Sir Terence had just been outplayed. Oh, at that point, everything got nastier. Uh, Sir Terence passed a comment about Watson's current lady friend. I thought we might have a fight right there, but Watson's a very protective man of his lady's honor. But instead, Watson just made a comment about Sir Terence's misrun companies costing him money, and Sir Terence called him a fool. Then Watson knocked him down with one blow. Oh. Fortunately, Watson left the room before Sir Terence got up for another round. Check clue P turned to 222, have we? We have. That is the order. Fight, port, nine o'clock. Yeah. Well, because he says Watson left the room. 
But the other account said that he was ushered out by Marshall. Exactly. Uh, we're seeing an inconsistency here. Bing, 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 bing. Cuff him, hang him. Uh, and the family. <laughs> I, there was only one way to escalate it. Yeah. <laughs> All associates immediately guilty. Yep. Oh, if you've ever had a good thought about this man, straight to the clink. If you've ever seen this man, your eyes need to yep. <laughs> handcuff yourself. Yep. 222. You cock an ear when Marshall comments that Watson left the room after the fight, as someone told you that Marshall took Watson out of the room. You wonder if Marshall can explain this discrepancy. If you ask Marshall about the problem, 206, otherwise 405, otherwise 112, I mean, I think we push him. Push him. Absolutely. Uh, you say that Watson left the room. You ask Marshall. Which is odd. Because someone just told me that you took him out of the room. Marshall smiles. Oh, you detectives. He says in jest. You'll jump on any slight differences in men's stories. I'm certain that Watson was clear of the room and then came back and chatted with the others until Chambers started yelling about that murder. Hmm. Check clue M. If you've checked clue O, 503, otherwise 308. Have we? Uh, we have checked O, and that was that the few people remaining at the very end were the two Howards and Lawrence. I was going to say that his name wasn't there, too. 503? Mm-hmm. Uh, for what it's worth, the clue M that I've tracked down from this is Marshall lying. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. You recall that the witness who could name the members of the group who stood about and talked, did not name Marshall. You wonder at the difference in the stories. If you ask Marshall to explain this difference, 467, otherwise 308. 467, I think we're on the quick kill. P potentially, yeah. Uh, it's just rather odd, you know, that you say you were talking to the other members when the victim was discovered. You say pleasantly. And something in your tone makes Marshall straighten suddenly. It's just, they don't recall you being with them. And several of them were certain that they named... Sorry, several of them were certain when they named who was in the group. I hope you're not suggesting I lied to you. Marshall says, a hard note creeping into his voice. A man who proposes to be a detective should always be suspicious of men who have exact stories about matters of little importance. I remember them. Anyway, the Howards and Captain Lawrence. I believe Martin and Lewis were there for a while. There might have been others. The murder just drove such details out of my mind. Pick a number and add your intuition. Needing a nine. Yeah, this is Oh, coffee. let's go. And getting a ten. We're in. Three sixty two. This is why we were this is why we failed that last one, so we could have the juice for this. Slurp the cuffs on. Though Marshall tells the story very glibly, you realize that he is lying to you. Something in the way he tells it does not ring true. If you demand an explanation for the lie, 297, otherwise 308. Something in the contradiction between what he said and what everyone else said. Hmm. Yeah, but I mean, the thing is, this gives us the ability to push it one more exactly. step. Otherwise, where we couldn't. I mean, let's do it. We succeeded a tough check. Let's do it. 297, right? You look straight at Marshall, hardening your face to show that you have displeasure with him. He does not turn a hair. Uh, Mr. Marshall, you begin. I know that you're a friend to Dr. Watson, and I'm certain that you also want to help solve this 
mystery, so I cannot understand why you've told me a complete fabrication about this case. Marshall pales a little at your words. Pick a number and add your communication, needing a 10 and getting an 8. I mean, yeah, we... That, that was bound to happen. We rolled a bang and roll, but that is, yeah, 355 failure. Ooh. The paleness in Marshall's face is replaced by an angry red shade, and he rises suddenly and steps towards you. With an almost visible effort of will, he stops, shakes his fist at you, and turns and stomps from the room. As he leaves, he shouts, I see no use in wasting time with a man who doesn't have sense enough to tell a lie from the truth, and anyone who treats an ally like a criminal. You ever speak to me again, sir, I'll give you a good canaan. Strickland looks at you and shakes his head. His disgust is obvious. Turn the 143. I mean, that guy seems suspicious to me. I don't... Yeah, sorry uh, to say. Sorry to say. The game told <laughs> us he was lying, and then he goes, Oh, why would anyone who, think, who thinks I'm lying... But the book told us he was lying, so I mean, yeah, I don't, there's nothing we can do, but... Yeah. <laughs> he, do, he, he detected it. Uh, uh, Delected what's it. The, yeah. <laughs> My man is telling on himself. This is a self-report yeah. in conversation. Yeah. You draw a deep breath, exhale, and you look at Strickland and smile at each other. I appreciate your cooperation, sir. You tell Strickland. I know it must have been a great strain for a busy man to pass an afternoon looking after an amateur detective. I hope the results will prove the worth. He replies. I like Dr. Watson, and while the evidence against him does appear damning, I would be delighted if you prove the facts can lie. You thank Strickland for his help once again and leave the three continents, tipping your hat to the doorman as you leave. You glance around on your way out. There's no empty cabs in sight, so you decide to walk to Mycroft's lodgings. A scattering of people move around as the great city makes the transition from day into night. On a corner facing the club, you notice a ragged-looking man with a handful of papers in his hand, offering them to the other people hurrying along the street. Pick a number and add your intuition. Needing a six, getting a six. 251. You wonder if the man works from the same corner every evening. If so, he may have seen something useful the night before. You walk near him, and he holds out a flyer of one of the music halls. It's a little best show you'll see, he says urgently as you look at the flyer. Best show in all London. Three performances a night is 7, 11, and 9. If you stop to talk to the man, 462, otherwise 124. I mean, what have we learned from Sherlock Holmes if not that the uh, Baker Street Irregulars are important sources of information? Yeah, also there's the show at 9, so maybe something, I don't know. Mm. 462. Also, this is probably Sherlock. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> You stop as you read the flyer, nodding to the ragged man. Is that show actually any good? You ask, slipping the man a shilling. Deduct a shilling from your character record. We're down with 29 shillings remaining. No! Lord love me, go for see even better! He exclaims. Just ask your friends in that club there. Many of them go around two to three times a week. Uh, so you work from this corner every night, do you? You continue, and he nods eagerly. I wonder, was that, is it possible that paper was a ticket? I don't know. If you ask him if he ever saw anything interesting at the Three Continents, turn to 529, otherwise 124. If we don't ask this, why are we talking to him at all? 
Yeah, exactly. But also, we've already got a little bit of information, which is that this show itself, apparently, is attended by members of this club. True. And, as you mentioned, there is a show at specifically nine. I would not be surprised if this is definitely tied to the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen anything unusual at the club? You ask, trying to keep your voice cash. You know, one hears stories. Well, that one's fairly calm on the outside. He answers. I think they have some orders going on inside. The police have to come every now and then. They was just there last night, in fact. And sometimes I see other signs that they have their fun. They must play all sorts of jokes on each other, I think. If you're asking what he means, 320, 371, otherwise 124, sure. 371. Uh, they must be some sort of careless jokers, if you can see the signs of it from outside. Do you comment? Oh, no, 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 that's the only truth you needed to be here from me, you understand, sir? The peddler smiles. Last night, I'm sure the man's work joke just worked fine, rather, in spite of me seeing him. Uh, what'd you see? You ask eagerly. Oh, you was a victim, was you? He laughs. This is how the man worked it on you. He was up in the room with the blue drapes. You realize he's pointing at the billiards room. For half an hour or so last night, it was a bloke standing between the curtains and the window. And you couldn't see him from the inside, so he surprised you, did he? Uh, was that about nine when he hid? You ask. Aye, Captain. He agrees. I just heard the arrow chimes <laughs> when I first noticed the man. You smile and you mutter. I'll surprise him. Then slip the man another shilling. Deduct a shilling from your character record. You barely can conceal your delight. The murderer must have hidden behind the drapes while he, when he heard Watson coming. Check clue Q. Turn to 124. Interesting. So, boom. I mean, that's as confirmed as that was a very important ask. Mm-hmm. Incredibly so. Also, at this point, just give him a couple more. We have so many shillings. He he solved the case. He's yeah. the detective. Yeah, he should get all the rewards and all the fame. Uh, and he probably will, because that is Sherlock Holmes. You, you know what? Honestly... Wait, now I actually feel like it mo- I'm more likely to believe it is him. <laughs> uh, you hurry on to Mycroft Holmes' room and review the case with him and Inspector McDonald. You hope that you have learned enough to convince them both that Watson is innocent. Both men listen carefully as explain the evidence that you put together. If you've checked off clue F and Q, turn to 189. Have we? Unfortunately, we didn't check off clue F. If I had to imagine, that was probably one of the roles that we failed in Watson's conversation to have, like, sure. direct exculpatory evidence from him. Yeah, turn to 412. The killer was very careful. You say? He's not made it easy for us to identify him or even learn if he was in the room. That's true. McDonald agrees. I didn't see any evidence that anyone but Watson was in there last night. If you've checked off both clue J and L, turn to 325, have we? We have indeed. Oh. That is J, that the table was tipped after Chalmers, and then L, Sullivan's theory of how uh, the account happened. Mm. All right, 325. You explain the connection between the two clues. You see, gentlemen. You say. As Chambers was certain that no table was knocked over, and Mr. Sullivan will swear that it was lying down when he entered the room, someone must have knocked it over between the moment when Chambers ran out of the room and when he returned with Sullivan and Grant. Aye? Mycroft replies. That's very true. 
it seems obvious that the man who knocked the table over only hid afterwards, perhaps behind the door. And a man who behaves in that way was almost certainly the murderer. I think this proves, Inspector, that Watson did not kill Sir Terence. Check decision 10 and turn to 404. McDonald quickly puts a stop to any thoughts of celebration that you had. That is all very interesting, sir, he says. And I admit I am pleased that I shan't be required to arrest Dr. Watson. But there is still a major problem at hand. Whom am I to arrest? This is an important case, and I would appreciate your assistance in uncovering through killer. Well, from the evidence and what I've read of Sir Terence, several names come to mind as killers. Are you mocking me? <laughs> Mycroft suggests. McDonald nods. There is Mr. Alexander Lewis, who lost large amounts of money investing in two of Sir Terence's schemes. The Earl of Wainsborough lost money with Sir Terence, and he was known to have argued with him. Finally, there's a man named John Symington, who conducts his business by the same methods that Sir Terence employed. Their competition had led to arguments, and there was bad blood between them. And a man like Sir Terence may have even had many RNs we don't even know about. A good list, McDonald. Nycroft says. But I think we can eliminate Symington as a suspect. It would have been impossible for a stranger to slip into that club. In addition, I saw a mention in the gossip columns of the Morning Chronicle that Mr. Symington was elsewhere last night. What do we know of these men's motives and character? What do you have to say? He asks you. You say more about Waynesboro, turn to 354, otherwise 270. Uh, what do we have to say about Waynesboro? Mm. I guess I don't know what we would have to say about him right now. Neither, but maybe we should pursue this. I, I kind of just want to see yeah. what they have to say about as it. As long as it's not us saying we think he did it. Where are we off to? 354. 354. Uh, what do we know of the Earl? You ask. What sort of man is he? The Earl. MacDonald ponders. I met the Earl when we investigated the robbery at his house. He's a bluff, hearty man, but also the sort who is very bitter towards the person who does him wrong. When I discovered that one of his servants was the thief, it took two men to keep him from beating the poor burger through a pulp. There must have been other stories to suggest he had a high temper. If you've checked deduction 7, turn to 376, otherwise 471. We have. That is the previous ownership of the house. 376. There is another important piece of evidence, I guess, about the Earl. You say, trying to cool the excitement in your voice. The Earl gave the house to the club. And quite obviously, a man who owned the house for years is likely to know all of his secrets. He easily could have used the trapdoor found another place to hide, and it slipped away later. That possibility would match the evidence. Turn to 471. Feels like we should probably murder, uh, murder. <laughs> Feels like we should probably mention, rather, uh, that we saw a man hiding behind the drapes at this point. Yeah. Mycroft silences the pair of you with a motion of his hand. Mm, you say the man has a quick temper. He says. But does that make him a proper candidate for a murder of this sort? No, it might not. McDonald admits. But it may be that the Earl had only recently realized that Sir Terence had cheated him. And even a hot-tempered man might take planning and care with a murder. If you've checked deduction 3 but not 5, turn to 543, otherwise 270. Ooh, interestingly, we have checked 3, additional suspects and motives. 
we've also checked five, which is killer no use trapdoor. So that is the ruling out of this uh, red herring for us here. Gotcha. Okay. 270, I recall as well, is the page we were going to turn to before we took this uh, different line as well. So we're not missing any of the conversation. After a little more talk, you realize you've learned everything useful that McDonald and Mycroft know about the Earl of Waynesboro. You think about the other suspects and wonder if you can learn anything about them from their colleagues. If you ask about Lewis, 494, otherwise 201. Hmm. 494. Yeah. Let's go through the suspects with him. Do you know anything about Alexander Lewis? You ask your colleagues. Mycroft shakes his head, but McDonald flips through a notebook and then nods. I've known about something about him for uh, some time. We keep an eye out for his salt. He's a young man with too much money and too little brain. Bad combination, that. If ones like that don't get themselves into trouble, they become prime marks for others. Lewis had lost money invested in Sir Terence's operations, but... I'm not certain that he had the intuition to even know he was cheated. Any hint of woman trouble between him and Sir Terence? Mycroft asks. And that's often a call of violence, a uh, cause rather of violence, and Sir Terence had a reputation for womanizing. MacDonald smiles. It would be more likely have been a grudge of Sir Terence against Lewis than Lewis against Sir Terence. He says. Lewis chases women constantly. But unless he'd been found out that he'd been cheated and resented it, Lewis would hardly be likely to kill Sir Terence. And he's so rich, he'd probably snub the man rather than attack him. one. You recall that your two colleagues mentioned a man named Symington as a possible killer and then dismissed him. If you ask for information on Symington, 579, otherwise 445. 579, new suspect. Rule them all. You mentioned a man named Symington. You say to MacDonald. What do you know about him? Did he have any motive to kill St. Terrence? McDonald smiles and says, If he had motive, then half the businessmen in London may commit murder tomorrow. Symington is the same sort of man that Sir Terrence was. Without the glitter of inherited rank and influence, though Symington is probably a little bit sharper, I tend to think that most of the companies he promotes actually exist. Whereas, we suspect that Sir Terence's efforts consist of a promotional flyer and bank account. The two would argue with each other from time to time, like two vultures who both want to see this eat the same carrion. I thought we decided that Symington had been cleared. Mycroft interjects. Why waste time over him? You think him for a moment and then answer. Eh, he might be useful to talk to anyway. A rival often knows the way of the man better than his friends. Check deduction 14 and turn to 445. Question. Who was the mm. other name on the flyer that we got? Do you remember? Was that Symington or was that... Great question. It was a name that we haven't seen again. It was something like Robert Blank or Robert Bland. Okay. 445. Because why haven't we seen that again? Feels like that would have come just up. just very quickly check because we can look at that at any time on 204. That is true. Robert Cotton, the secretary. It was not the secretary of the club, mind, but the secretary of the Ivory Coast. Sure. Mind. Sure. So now we're off to which, sorry? Uh, 445. 445. Oh, as all of you stop talking, McDonald leaves through his notes and shakes his head. None of these men have a solid motive for murder, he says. At least no reason known to us. Did you uncover any other suspicious behavior while you were at the three continents? He asks you. If you've checked clue E or deduction 8 and also checked off deduction 4 or checked out both clues M and O, what? Turn to 487. 
<laughs> Great news. Yeah? We have both clues M and O, and those are probably the most important clues to be using in this instance, as M is that Marshall is absolutely full of it, and that uh, he wasn't downstairs with Howard, Howard, and Lawrence. Good. Good, 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 good. You think about McDonald's question for a moment before answering. I don't know if it's significant in that. You finally say. But I should tell you, one witness lied to me. Oh, who was that? McDonald asks, a trace of excitement in his voice. It was actually Watson's friend, Marshall. You answer and explain the circumstances of the lie. McDonald's excitement subsides somewhat, and Mycroft says, That's hardly ground for a murder charge, is it? No two witnesses see the same event the same way. There are always conflicts in observation or memory that may make one man appear to be a liar. Mr. Holmes is correct. McDonald agrees. We know no reason why Marshall would want to kill Sir Terence. Why? The man was in large part responsible for your entering the case. He wrote Mr. Holmes a note telling him what danger Watson was in. Would a murderer do that? But why would he lie? You ask again. MacDonald sighs deeply before answering. He lied because he did not want to be involved in a murder investigation and wished to make it clear that he could have had nothing to do with the matter. Probably most of the others lied a little too, but in ways you couldn't detect. Check decision 19 and turn to 157. Mycroft breaks the silence with a cough and then asks. Uh, one second, I'm recording that. I guess it's a possible not lie? Eh? Yeah? I don't think so. I don't <laughs> think so either. Was paired with. Yeah, it, he's not necessarily the murder, but it's definitely a lie. The book told us it was a lie. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go. Mycroft breaks through the silence with a cough and then asks, Well, sir, now that you've learned everything we know about the suspects in the case, what will you do to pursue the matter? This is, of course, a clever murderer on the loose, after all. You think about your course of action. If you've checked clue I, 473, deduction 14, but not clue I, 187, otherwise 213. Clue I is the scrap of paper that is in mm. code. Uh, I will note we also do have deduction 14, which is the motive of Symington. So I think that would be leading us on a red herring. Yes. So clue I, but not... Yeah, 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 yeah. So we definitely go for the former, uh, 473. Mm -hmm. I found a very odd note on the billiard table. You tell Mycroft and show them the note. Huh. You may read it at 209. They look at it, glance at each other, a surprised look in their eyes. Good work, lad, McDonald says. I must have been asleep to have missed it when I searched. Have you broken the code? If you have broken the code, uh-oh, turn to 399, otherwise 557. God. So is there a, there's a code for us to break on that? It looks like nonsense. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I wonder if there's like some cipher that is very well known that has two keys one of which being a time and one of which being a number yes yeah, i is capable of being used here i feel like we needed to find something else for it but mm -hmm. but I, apparently all we needed is uh at least in terms of clues and deductions to get the question have you cracked the code was just having the piece of paper itself true so we know 9 o'clock is a relevant period of time. Are you on 209? Maybe... Sorry? Are you on 209? Did you go back up for this? Yes. 
Let me write down 473. Yeah, I want to go for it. Um, we also know that in the cipher, nine is represented as a number and then represented as a time. Okay, I, here's a pitch. I don't think it's a good pitch, but here's a pitch. Um, if we represented all of the following numbers as uh, time, um, so 230 becomes 230, 113 becomes 113. Uh, if we represented them all as time and then drew the hands of a clock, I wonder if it would connect the other words by yeah. a line. I, I feel like, okay, because in my head, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't, so, say again. So the, the, the structure of the angle that is created by a clock with hands pointing towards two and 30 minutes, and then joining that up with the structure of clock hands that are made by a, a clock going from one and 13 minutes, uh, and doing that for each of the times represented currently not as times uh, in there might create a path that we have to follow in order to make sense of the words that are in there. So like, it might be a long line that connects when to why, and then if, and then safe. Yeah. I'm just doing two of them contiguously to see if there's any possibility that that has any validity to it. Do we have anything else that we can look back to? We had one more thing we could look back to. What was that? Um, so we had the scrap of paper. We had the flyer. Uh, the flyer is on 204. So that's the Ivory Coast mining venture. Actually, that is another thing that we can look back to at any time. We can also look back to the map uh, for what it's worth which is directly opposite the code here. Is there anything is there anything of value on this flyer? What are the words that show up? Uh, it's what's annoying about this is the flyer, or well, I guess they're they're really close to each other actually. Mhm. Mm Do any of the words show up here? When if me why safe. Um Oh, I see. I see. So like a substitution cipher for literally the number in that. So uh, let, oh. let's go for the obvious ones. There's a two and a 15 next to one another. So two would be ivory and then 15 would be speculative. And then the 200th word of it, that would be annoying to count. That down doesn't to. sound right. When if me, why safe? I don't think, I, well, I don't know. That does sound like a meme format that I don't understand. Yeah. I'm okay saying you stumped this. I don't know this cipher because I worry that trying to solve the cipher will uh, auditorially suck. Yeah. Let's, well, okay. We'll try the substitute. Is there, is there a less annoying substitute? I don't, when, if, what, what's 166? I'll check once because it, surely it's not. Also, do you think it would include the, t I don't know. One, two, three. I included the title personally, but maybe not. Hmm. God, I wish I knew how many words there were total. Because then, then we could work backwards. You know? There's a typo in this. There's a typo? There's a typo in the Ivory Coast mining venture. In particular, it's in this sentence. Come, you sons of England. Marshal your courage for the new challenge. And oh. Marshall is spelled like the name, not the Marshall, not not like uh, 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 creating a party thereof. That is true. Uh, also- it, It's definitely a code in here. And, oh, 
God, that's that's so annoying because then it's like, what's the code, Mister? Is it? And also, because I was gonna say Mister Robert Cotton feels like a, a fake name, but the word secretary mm. is possibly relevant, which is why. Yep. Which is why I was wondering how many words there are total, because then maybe if that number shows up, is there is like the word office in here somewhere? I don't. Speculative venture. Oh, I hate that. I hate that we. Ca- I hate that we have some of it now, because. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That makes it so much more confusing. Cause yeah, that there there is a typo. That is Marshall. That is the guy that we think it is. That is exactly means that we could just say we know the code. But I, I I'm there's La- not zero temptation in my body to do that. <laughs> there last time we had to prove it anyways. Yeah, that is true. I'm gonna start writing this in like a note word Mm -hmm. and see if i can like because i think at this point we should take an official pause yes and we are back a day later and successful (laughs) in our code breaking attempts (laughs) it was exactly as we figured it was it's literally just a substitution cipher take the number and then reference it by the flyer it doesn't that how make that much sense it yeah. translates effectively to Milton, meet me a thousand of mines if you kept silent details when we meet has cotton ivory speculative in most ma- uh, why Marshall safe. Yeah. So it's like it's close enough that it's clearly the thing. No number shows up that's higher than the word count, which we you know, we both transcribed mm-hmm. this into word, figured out it has yeah, the two thirty five words, there's no number higher than that. The Milton meet me being the first thing makes it clear that that's yep. definitely like the start of it. The fact that it also references the misspelling of Marshall as a name mm-hmm. makes it very, very clear that it's it's also referencing that part of the text too. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, a many minutes of unscrambling and <laughs> two, three day process on this book. Let's... Let's say we've broken the code, right? Mm-hmm. If we say we've broken the code, we'll, we'll have we'll to test it. To 399. Yeah. If we say we break the code, then the book makes us have to prove it. You reread the coded message before you explain it. It hits us with, if 162, 186, 119 correctly, 69, 17, 479, uh, which translates to, what did you have it as? That was 162. So 162 is. Oh, I guess maybe. Uh, you read documents correctly. Aha. Uh-huh. And then because 479 is definitely turn. outside of our cipher, I'm going to assume the rest is turn to 479. Turn. Hold on. Turn <gasps> to. What's 479 uh, in the cipher then? It's not in here. We must not have the code. <laughs> oh. All right, let's turn to 479. Right. This is how the code works. Uh, you tell the others. It's based on that flyer that Sir Terrence wrote for his last company, which is why he kept a copy of the flyer with him. If you need the number of words in the flyer, you can substitute the words for the numbers and read the note. What does it say? Mycroft asks. You have a feeling he has already figured it out. It says, Milton, meet me. A thousand of <laughs> minds if you kept silent. Details when we meet. Has cotton, 
ivory speculative in most why Marshall's safe. You hesitate as you finish reading. <laughs> the last part just doesn't make any sense. The last part? A thousand of mines if you kept silent? Mm. I mean, you mutter and McDonald laughs. <laughs> if you write a note in code, it is normal procedure to fill the paper up so that the arrangement of numbers or words does not give anything away. If your message is too short for the space you use, you just fill in with gibberish to confuse the man deciphering it. Check deduction 15 and turn to 444. It's so, we were mentioning, it's so bold that they hit you with the, if you have cracked the code, turn to this page, and they give you a fake, or not, you know, like a not completed code. It, it's so bold. Mm -hmm. What a bold choice. So that's deduction 15 is code breaker. It occurs to you that there might be other information hidden in that note. Yeah, what do you make of it, gentlemen? You ask McDonald and Mycroft. What does this note even mean? Mycroft thinks about it and then nods. I think the note must have been written by a silent partner of Sir Terence. Probably Sir Terence was threatening to reveal a partner's share to the affair of the police, or rather his partner's share of the affair to the police, if the investigation ever came to trial. Obviously, the partner used the note to draw Sir Terence into a place where he could meet with him quietly. Pick a number and add intuition. Needing an 8, getting a 12. 11 <gasps> plus 1. 414. What does that 9, 9 o'clock at the top mean? McDonald's asks. <laughs> it's a set apart from the numbers, and it doesn't seem to fit the code. I think I know. You say? The three continents numbers, it's rooms. And the billiard room is number nine. So Sir Terence went to room nine at nine o'clock. That fits your other evidence quite nicely. Mycroft agrees. Some of your witnesses said that Sir Terence acted as if he was watching the clock and went upstairs just before nine. MacDonald nods and looks gloomy. The killer invited Sir Terence up there to kill him and set an appointment for death. The murder... The method, rather, used by the killer proves the premeditation. He had to pick up the poker from the fireplace and cross the room to kill Sir Terence. If tempers had fled in an argument, the killer never would have been able to hit Sir Terence from behind with a poker. Turn to 213. Hmm. This note business is all very well, Mycroft says. But does it actually tell us anything important about the case? I cannot see that it does, MacDonald answers. It is, in fact, worse than that, as far as you're concerned. What do you mean? Mycroft asks. Obviously, this note could point directly at Dr. Watson. MacDonald says. I learned of this sort of code when I investigated the Bellstone case with your brother. Obviously, Watson could have learned it at the same time. If the note is an appointment to meet Sir Terence... Who would have been more likely to have just sent a note to the man who, than the man who just went up to the billion room right after Sir Terence? Some would suggest that he kept his appointment and then murdered Sir Terence. Turn to 247. So Sherlock did do it. He knows the code. At some point, we're going to have to describe to these people that we saw another man in the room. <laughs> I know. it doesn't seem like we have. I know. It's, it's a pretty important. It feels like it should have been a check earlier. Uh-huh. Either way, 
As you consider the evidence, Mycroft and McDonald ask if there's anything else they can tell you. You contemplate the question. Pick a number and add intuition. Needing a seven. <laughs> Getting a uh, five. That's a no. 187. We do have something we could tell them, though. Sighing deeply the opportunity at all. and weary from the long day, you try and think of other sources of information in this case. Pick a number and add your intuition. Needing an eight. Getting a nine. Please. 248. Hey, Mr. Holmes. You began a little shy. I remember from my days as an irregular that your brother kept huge indices in scrapbooks, filled with information on men in every walk of life in London. Do those still exist? Mycroft looks surprised at the question and then nods. Yes, they're still in his old rooms on Baker Street. I paid Mrs. Hudson to keep them for me. Someday we may have need of the country. Sorry, when the needs of the country, rather, are less pressing, I shall go through the material and decide what to do with it. Do you think you could give me a note for Mr. Hus uh, Mrs. Hudson, rather, allowing me to look in your brother's commonplace books? You ask? They might be a useful source of information. Mycroft hesitates again and then nods firmly. He scribbles a note and hands it to you. Sherlock would certainly approve of his files being used to help Dr. Watson. He says... Check decision 14 and turn to 542. We already had 14 checked as Symington motive. Curious. Huh. A clock chimes softly from Mycroft's bedroom, and you realize it's getting a little bit late. Well, what course of action will you follow tomorrow? Mycroft asks. I haven't decided yet. You admit? There's several sources of information I might want to explore. I'd like to know more about the lady who was mentioned so prominently in the argument between Sir Terence and Dr. Watson. Has uh, your friend Captain Locke discovered anything about it yet? He's not reported anything to me. Captain Locke? Surely. Surely. Captain Locke, the investigator, is unrelated. Entirely. To one dead, sure, Locke. Hmm. <laughs> Surely. We'll meet him. We'll meet him and we'll query it. Yeah, we'll see. Mycroft, uh, he's not reported to me yet, Mycroft replies. I shall send you a note as soon as he does. Uh, do you have any suggestions? You know, who I should see first? You ask? Uh, perhaps I should visit Sir Terence's home to look for evidence there. Oh, that can wait. McDonald says. Sir Terence won't pretend to destroy any evidence? He pulls a Bradshaw down from Mycroft's shelves and consults a, the railroad schedules. I was right, he says. If you wish to see the Earl of Waynesborough, you'd better go out to his estate first thing tomorrow. The only trains that will make the connection leave Paddington at eight in the morning and four in the afternoon. If you go, you'll spend most of the day getting there and returning. You thank Mycroft and MacDonald for their help and return to your own lodgings. Sleep is slow in, in coming as you figure out what to do for the next day. If you decide to go see the Earl, 554, otherwise turn to 242. Is that a thing we care that much about? Not real. Is it that instead of something else? One would assume it has to be, right? I hope it is, because I, I don't fully care to see him. But Like, we know that he previously owned the house, we know that he would have known about the trapdoors, but that's literally the only invocation of his name so far. It, it just doesn't seem that relevant. It seems like there's a world where they're trying to push you down a path of, 
the trapdoor being so important, mm-hmm. but then they also told us that it's not as important as it seems. Yeah, if we dig, we get trapdoor. If we dig deeper, we get trapdoor maybe important, and then we dig even deeper and we get no. Yeah, trapdoor trapdoor was trick. So maybe I I don't know. I if this was definitely a choice between seeing the Earl and seeing what the other option is, I definitely want to see the other option, but I don't know if that's what we're choosing. I think we should choose the other option. Okay. Well, I we'll... think we're just going to get red herrings from the Earl. Okay. I'm I'm happy to do it in in the the hopes that it presents us a different choice. You rise early the next day, breakfast quickly, and set out on your day's investigation. You're anxious to get down to business, because today's work will show whether or not you can solve this murder. You try to decide what you should do first today. If you check decision 14 and 17, turn to 536. Have we? Annoyingly, we haven't checked 17. We have got uh, 14, which is both Symington Motive or the Sherlock Shelves. Was the Sherlock Shelves not 17? Uh, was that not 14? Oh, no. I, I was pretty I was pretty sure they wrote over something that we just fulfilled. Yeah, it's actually, as it turns out, it's literally on the next page, 248. Uh, Sherlock would certainly approve of his files being used to help Dr. Watson check decision 14. I wouldn't be surprised mm. at all if it turns out that decision, that was supposed to say check decision, decision 17, because a couple of the numbers in this book have been wrong so far, like referencing page numbers that don't exist or aren't contiguous. Um, but I don't think we should assume that. Yeah, it's a pain. I guess we have to hit otherwise 154. Yeah. You step out the door and survey the new day. It's a pleasant sunny morning, crisp but not cold. You stop for just a moment to consider what you should do first today. If you've checked decision 17, 502. Otherwise, 345. You know what? No. Uh, I I went to 502 just to very quickly see if it was going to say uh, something that would tend to intimate that we should already have decision 17. And 502 just says, you finger the note from Mycroft that allows you to look through Sherlock Holmes' books. Okay. Which is exactly what it was. So you were 100% right. That was supposed to be 17. Okay, so which what means was the other page? both of the previous ones. Where did we just come from, the one that said 14 and 17? Uh, it's... Just up from here, if I recall correctly. Um, that is 242. So if you checked both decision 14, sorry, deduction 14 and decision 17, okay. uh, turn to 536. 536. What the hey? I'm so glad bugs. that we figured that out here. It just felt wrong. Like, you're saying that they took up the same slot and there's... Yeah. You, I, I couldn't imagine some world where they... I just... I couldn't imagine them being on the same note. It doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. Uh, you consider the various tasks that lie ahead of you today, wondering what you should do first and which actions are not worth doing at all. It seems that your first action should be to look at Sherlock Holmes' record in his old Baker Street rooms or visit Sir Terence's business rival, John Symington. Of these, do you have one that you prefer? Because I do. I do, absolutely, as well. What's yours? Uh, Baker Street. Perfect, then we needn't discuss it further. Great. Let's head to Baker Street. What the hell? You try and order events in your mind. What else might you find evidence for in this case? If you've checked deduction 19, clue S um, or clue X. I'm not certain you turn to the correct one. Okay, great. It's Which 264. Well, good, because we don't have any of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you decide that a little background knowledge will aid your investigation. You therefore set out walking towards Baker Street, enjoying the morning sunshine. Check decision 22 and turn to 136. 
He stride up Mrs. Hudson's house at 221 Baker Street and knock on the door. Mrs. Hudson, a very pleasant motherly woman, answers the door herself. Oh, hello, she says in a delighted voice. I remember you, she adds. You used to work with Mrs. Holmes, Mr. Holmes, rather. What are you doing now? I'm actually trying to pursue Mr. Holmes's old trade as a consultant detective, you answer. I'm currently looking into a rather important matter, and Mr. Mycroft Holmes was kind enough to give me permission to look at his brother's records. You show Mrs. Hudson the note. After reading the note, Mrs. Hudson smiles and leads you upstairs. Oh, I am pleased to have someone using Mr. Holmes's things, she mentions. It just seems so silly for Mr. Mycroft to pay me to maintain the rooms when he almost never has anyone use them. I mean, occasionally his friend Captain Locke will come and use the books, but not often. <laughs> she lets you into the room and you look around in surprise. If Holmes were alive, he could move back into Baker Street tomorrow. The sitting room is just as you remembered it, a comfortable room with big chairs, solid desks and tables, and all the other fittings of a bachelor's comfort. There is a large shelf for the fireplace filled with Holmes' books, including the big scrapbooks he filled with clippings. You notice that Mrs. Hudson has replastered the wall Holmes had decorated with a patriotic VR in bullet marks. Without wasting more time, you sit to look at the records, and with some effort, you find how complicated indices correspond to commonplace books. And then you begin to look up the people involved in the case. Check clue you! If you look up Sir Terence 158, otherwise 134... Absolutely look up Sir Terence. Yeah, seems pertinent. The man of the murder. We just turn to Sir Terence's page and it's a list of people who might want to kill him. <laughs> Holmes has records of Sir Terence. There are clippings describing the failure of the first two businesses. In a marginal note, Holmes says that Sir Terence must have had a partner who furnished the money for this scheme. But the notes do not suggest the name of this partner. You consider whom else to read about in the books. If you look up the Earl of Waynesboro, 331. If you're finished at Baker Street, 148. Otherwise, 465. Oh. I think we should, like, while we're looking at an index, I think it'll give us the opportunity to read as much as possible about these, I think. One would hope. You're thinking 331 yeah. isn't going to... Yeah, that's the thing. If 331 gets us to not look at the other option, I don't want to do it. But I don't know what the rush would be. So 331... There is a clipping on Waynesboro discussing a murder that may have involved the Earl. According to his story, the, a footman who had made advances to the Earl's cousin had been found drowned in a pond on the Earl's property. It was unclear whether the death was an accident or a murder, and it had never come to trial. Holmes's notes mention that Earl is known to be bad-tempered bad and also describe him as a perfect mark for unscrupulous entrepreneurs. Turn to 465. You consider other people you should try and learn about from the commonplace books. If you've checked 17, turn to 269. Otherwise, 458. 17 is I mean, what got us checked. here, I thought. Yeah, exactly. So I, I'd be surprised that it's referencing that, but yeah. Oh, because maybe we could have gotten here but not had the uh, excuse to... I don't know. 269. We'll see. <laughs> Okay, having gone to 269, what actually happened as well is this is a misreference. They were trying to reference Deduction 14. Oh my lord. <laughs> uh, so this hits us with a... If you look up Symington, if you're prepared to leave... Wait. You wonder if Holmes had any notes on the unscrupulous businessman John Symington. 
who we were given a hint towards from Mycroft. Well, actually away from, effectively, by Mycroft and McDonald. Yeah, so we can look at him, or do we care to look him up, I guess? I mean, because I think we do, especially because the yeah. other option was going to see him today. Yeah, and 458 is where we were going to go anyway, so it doesn't look like we're... Yeah, so 179? Mm-hmm. You have hopes when you see Symington's name in the indices, but there's only one small clipping in the books. It describes the first company promoted by Symington, but the story is only a paragraph. A note written in the margin reads... I mean... Company yeah. sounds suspicious. No previous misbehavior, no evidence. You return the book to the shelf and turn to 458. Okay, so we missed nothing. Good. You realize that you have not learned much in the course of your visit to Baker Street, and you wonder if there's anyone else you might learn about. If you check Deduction 19, turn to 238, please tell me that that's... Deduction 19 was in conversation uh, with McDonald and Mycroft, them telling us that Marshall might not have been lying. So this will probably get us to Marshall. Interesting. Okay, 238. You recall that Watson's friend Marshall lied to you. <laughs> yep. You wonder <laughs> the the mark. Marshall may not mm -hmm. have been lying. You recall that Watson's <laughs> friend Marshall lied to you. <laughs> you wonder whether Holmes had any notes on Marshall. If you want to look up Marshall five twelve, I mean we do, right? Mm -hmm. I think so. Absolutely. Since he's such an ordinary man, you're a little surprised that the indices list a reference to Christopher Marshall. You pull down the commonplace book indicated and flip through the pages. There's a clipping on Marshall describing an incident in the western United States when threatened Marshall killed two men who accused him of cheating at cards. Oh, the story states that Marshall was freed on the grounds of self-defense, though the judge berated him for using unnecessary force to save himself. It mentions that he had left the town immediately. Another clipping mentions that Marshall has published a small monograph. Secret tunnels and hidden exits in the modern house. Interesting. Below the clippings, Holmes wrote... Watson's friend and fellow club member. Trustworthy? You wonder what this means, but you cannot be certain whether it matters or not. Turn to 170. Did we already know that Marshall knows about the trapdoor? I guess I don't know. I don't think we did. I know we know Lewis knew about it as well as Grant knew about it and then uh, Wayne and Grayson. It's true. And I guess we don't know that he knows about it still. He just wrote a book on the subject. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, which, sorry, which page do we go to? 170, I hope. That's where I went. You idly flip through one or two of the commonplace books, amazed at the amount of information that Sherlock Holmes had gathered, gathered over the years. Both the amount of material and the variety of the subject matter explain the great success enjoyed by the world's first consulting detective. Besides incidents in England, there are stories on such American events as the Borden murders in Massachusetts and the death of the Dalton gang in Kansas, and crimes on every other continent. Pick a number and add your scholarship. Needing an eight, getting exactly an eight, seven plus one, or <gasps> yes. 76. Whether or not we care about this, we'll see. I think we really will. Okay. You stop suddenly in your examination of the books, shocked and confused by some of the items you notice. The Daltons were killed in 1892 and the Bordens in 93. How could Sherlock Holmes have saved reports of events that occurred after his death? <laughs> hmm. Check Clue V. Turn to 148. I got it. He wrote about them and then... They happened. Faked his death so he could go and kill those people. Yes. 
You put everything away, making sure that you leave the room just as you found it. Then you thank Mrs. Hudson for her out, bid her a good day, and leave Baker Street. You've checked decision 22, turn 123, have we? That was the decision to come here to Baker Street in the first place, so I believe that will lock us out of the area. Gotcha. As you stand outside your lodgings, you remember Symington, the man engaged in the some forms of crooked business promotion as Sir Terence. You try to decide whether it would be even worthwhile to visit the promoter. You see Symington 103, otherwise 107. I want to go and visit. Then let's do it. You take a hansom to the building where Symington has his offices and get off half a block away and walk towards the building. Can the businessman help you solve the case? If you check decision 9, turn to 363, otherwise 477. Mm, uh, we haven't, unfortunately. All right, 477. That might be good. That might be, have you already been here? You know, who knows? Mm. You knock on the office door and a quiet voice invites you in. A man who must be Symington is sitting behind his desk and motions you to sit in another. The office is furnished very simply. It only has the most necessary furniture, books, and file cabinets. The only decoration is a bust of Wellington sitting on top of the bookshelf. And what can I do for you? Symington asks. Are you looking for a solid investment, sir? I'm actually looking into the murder of Sir Terence Milton. You reply. It's been suggested that you might help me clarify some aspects of the case. Sir Terence's murder? He asks, surprised. I doubt that I know anything, but of course, I'll be glad to give you any help that I can. If you ask his opinion of Sir Terence, 261, otherwise 550. Gotta start there. Sure. I understand that Sir Terence was a rival of yours. You begin. What sort of man was he? You know they say a man's rivals have to know more about him than his friends. Pick a number and add communication. Needing an eight, getting seven. 552. <gasps> we know talk no good. I can't say I really knew the man. Oh shoot, which page? 552. Why'd I go to 557? Symington says, suddenly nervous. We hardly associated with one another and never worked together. I mean, surely you gotta know something. You urge. No, I cannot say that I do. Symington insists. We didn't have anything to do with one another. We didn't run our businesses in the same fashion, you understand. Before he can ask more, Symington looks at his watch and says, Oh dear, didn't realize how late it was. You excuse me, I have an important appointment across town. He almost pushes you out of the door in his flurry, and reluctantly you leave the building. Turn to 315. Oh, that, that is good. that's a hard failure state. <laughs> if you finish your investigation at Symington's office after taking a minute or two to order new evidence in your mind, you consider the next step. If you check 23, turn to this. 349, otherwise 107. Have we? We have not, unfortunately. Or maybe uh, fortunately. So 107. That said, 107 is what we would have gone to if we didn't go to uh, Symington in the first place, so we haven't lost anything there. Gotcha. A few necessary errands fill the rest of the morning. At noon, you stop at your lodgings to check your mail. Amidst the bills and personal letters, there's a note from Mycroft Holmes asking you to visit him at home immediately. You wonder whether he's made some crucial discovery in the case and hurry to his lodgings to see him. Mycroft greets you with his customary politeness. Thank you for coming promptly. He says, leading you into a small study. Captain Locke succeeded in his investigations of the lady's background. I thought you'd like to hear the report. As you nod in agreement, another man enters the room, dressed in a uniform trimmed in the fashion of the provost department. He is a tall, lean man with bushy, graying sideburns, a thick moustache, and heavy eyebrows. The tinted glasses that hide his eyes are almost hidden among all the hair. This is Captain Locke. Mycroft announces. 
The army has very kindly loaned his services to me, and he's carried out his part in the case very quickly indeed. Hey, what'd you find out about that lady? You ask. Locke consults some notes and begins to speak in a soft, almost toneless voice. The lady is a singer named Miss Ellen Phipps, who is now working at the prison hall. Everyone who knows her speaks well of her. She is engaged to be married as soon as she completes her series performances currently. Her relations with Watson are of most innocent kind. They were? You ask in surprise. Some of the men who talked about it believed the doctor was likely to marry her. There's no evidence of that. Locke answers. If you review the evidence carefully, you will find the trace of all of those stories to one port, uh, port one source rather. Probably you will find some friend of Watson's who saw them together and jumped to conclusions. Given Watson's affinity for the fairer sex, it was an understandable mistake. But what's the old, uh, true story? You demand. Miss Phipps is an old school friend of the latest Mrs. Watson. Locke tells you, and again consulting his notes. She came to see her friend and found to her distress that she had died. Watson, gentleman that he is, naturally invited her visit, uh, his visitor rather out to supper. A few days later, Watson went to hear her sing. A drunk in the audience accosted the lady, and Watson came to her defense. He saw her home safely, and that was the last time he talked to her. So you can rest assured that the lady had nothing to do with murder. Check deduction 25. If you've checked, clue you. Turn to 498. Uh, we have, We yeah? have. And that is uh, the indices of homes. Mm, what would that have any relevance here for? With the man... Uh, specifically, it was not... knowing that Holmes was making extra entries after yeah. uh, he yeah. supposedly disappeared, and also that the only person who visited was Captain Locke. What does this have to do with this nice man wearing a, a pair of those glasses that have the large pink nose and mustache <laughs> attached <laughs> the to it? Marks glasses. Yes, the Gretchen What does this man? What does it have to do with this nice man sporting the this wonderful <laughs> pair of glasses? What does it have to do with this nice man who sounds almost exactly like Sherlock trying to speak softly and tonelessly? <laughs> yeah, who knows a lot about Sherlock's friends and uh, <laughs> and is consulting with Sherlock's brother. Mm -hmm. And also his name is part of Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that seems a bit sloppy for Sherlock, frankly. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mycroft can... Wait. Oh, shoot. Where am I? <laughs> I was going to ask you because I got lost too. Uh, it's fun. I feel like it is four ninety nine. Wait, no, no, is it? Yeah, I don't think it is. I think it might have been four ninety eight, but I can't remember. I was scrolling and then immediately forgot at the end. Uh, oh no, I am now completely lost. Okay, four ninety nine. It's so easy when we could search the books. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's 498. <laughs> Literally just retracing the past. I just going down a lot. Like scrolling till I see a page. Yep, we we read that within the past 20 minutes. And then going. Yeah, that's what I was trying <laughs> and to then do just too. going, next, next, next. Yeah. Uh you think about what you have seen and cannot understand why Mycroft has spent the time and money to maintain 221B as perfectly as he has done. If you ask him why he did it to 279, if not 244. I mean, pry to get oh, towards. Easily. Sherlock being alive. 279. Let's do it. Uh, when I was at Baker Street this morning... You begin? I was actually very surprised at the condition of the rooms. I thought to have a difficult time sorting through your brother's property, but instead I found the rooms ready for your brother to move back in today. Why are you going to so much trouble? 
Mycroft looks troubled at the question, and finally he says, I am certain. Uh, most of it arises from my eccentric nature, combined with the pain of Sherlock's death. Maintaining his homes, uh, <laughs> maintaining his home, rather, <laughs> helps me pretend that nothing has changed in the well-ordered course of my life. A little bit of familiar humor, you familial <laughs> humor, you understand. Uh, it does seem rather a drastic method. Captain Locke comments. But if it comforts you and can afford the cost, I can see nothing wrong with your actions. <laughs> certainly nothing, certainly nothing wrong. If it comforts you and you can afford the cost, perhaps a midi-fridge as well could... <laughs> <laughs> you can get a little footstool to pop your feet up on maybe uh maybe get some hc in there just filled real muggy i know that your brother would have wanted a new xbox <laughs> one s <laughs> don't need to splurge for the x i just i want to be able to play my old i his old he wants to play his old games bring him blinks the time sweeper will you Oh man, I think that's the last game I ever played in an Xbox in store. Yeah, I thought you were gonna say that's the last game I've ever played. <laughs> that's the last game I'll ever play. Blinks the Time Sweeper. Yeah, if I if the audience ever sees me pick up a controller and then it just pans to a screen of a TV playing Blinks the Time Sweeper, I'm dying that day. <laughs> no, never play it. Uh, it's certainly nothing wrong. You agree, now addressing Mycroft. I actually found it very useful today. It was amazing to see the amount of information your brother compiled. Information by itself is of little help, though. Locke comments, blushing. <laughs> you have no reason. You have two reasons through the evidence and use it in a logical manner. You chat a little bit longer, somehow reluctant to leave, while you try and make sense of what you saw at Baker Street. Pick a number and add your intuition, needing a 10. Hoping... This is a hard roll. Ooh, stink. That's a 9. <sighs> a good roll, but not good enough. 244. I feel like that might have been like a UC through his disguise. <laughs> yeah, that, that might have been a yank the mustache situation right there. Yeah. You thank Mycroft and Locke for their help and detail your plans for the investigation. Mycroft listens and nods while Locke watches from the corner, hardly paying attention. Come back to see me as soon as you finish. Mycroft urges. I'll have McDonald here this evening, and I think Captain Locke should probably be here as well. For some reason, between us, <laughs> we ought to be able to interpret this evidence. You leave his lodgings, eager to pursue the remainder of your investigation. If you go to see Sir Terence's lodgings, turn to 559, otherwise 262. What a nice stranger that was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we should check his lodgings, right? Mm-hmm. I'm looking for other codes. We this need to... 559? Yeah, we, we're trying to figure out who his secret business partner is. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be here. You take a hansom to Sir Terence's townhouse, hoping to find the evidence to clarify the case. A servant answers the door. Can I help you, sir? Yeah. You answer. I'm actually investigating the tragic murder of your late master, Sir uh, Terence, was it? There are those that fear the Scotland Yard won't devote their entire efforts to the case. You hand the man your credentials, which he reads very carefully. What can I do now? He asks. My name's Perkins. I was Sir Terence's personal servant. He treated me very well. I'll give, <laughs> I'll give all I had to see the devil who murdered him swing for it. You ask to look through Sir Terence's papers, 226, if you ask Perkins to help. 
343. If you have a pound, you may offer him money to see the papers, 574. I think he'll probably just be offended by that if he wants us to help him. Yeah, like that's... He, he wants to see the outcome he, of this case anyway He himself. wants... Yeah, this feels like a trap <laughs> to me. So the question is, do we want his help or not? I don't think we... Ow. Oh, maybe, maybe we do. What do you I mean? Think? I we, yeah, I, it's a tough one. Cause I don't think he's gonna do anything to. Mm, well, he might try and hide some like shady stuff, I guess, in fear of mm. it making his person he likes so much look bad. So I don't know. Cause he wants his death avenged, so he would want to help, but that doesn't mean there could be a line to it. I don't know. I'm I'm happy for either or, frankly, at this point. Shoot. Because <laughs> now I'm on the fence. <laughs> uh let me I'm gonna roll a die. Uh even no help. Odd even. No help. Two twenty six. I actually hope to find evidence of the killer in Sir Terrence's papers. You explain? If no one's examined him yet, I'd actually appreciate it if you'd let me look through him. Oh, the police didn't care. Perkins answers, rubbing a little at an eye. Oh, you can look at his papers and take all the time you need, sir. He leads you to the study and points out where Sir Terence kept his records. Make yourself comfortable, sir. I'll get you a pot of tea. Turn to 575. You begin to go through the papers. They are neatly organized and docketed. There's nothing to indicate who helped him in his ventures. The only evidence that mentions anyone whom you met is a note from Marshall acknowledging that Sir Terence had repaid a loan of £3,000 on the last day of 1893. Check Clue W. Turn to 501. It's something. Yeah, but he repaid the loan, which makes it less likely that's the motive. Yeah. Huh. It's really taken a long time for us to get to a motive on this one. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You put the papers away and rise, feeling that you've learned everything relevant from Sir Terence's records. Thanks for your help, you tell Perkins. His pleasant face hardens as he answers. Just find the man who killed him. Just do that, sir. We'll be more than even. You thank him again and you leave. Turn to 262. You try and order the events in your mind. Where else might you find evidence for this, this case if you check deduction 19, clue S, or clue X, 293? Have we now? So we haven't checked Clue S. Yes. We haven't checked Clue X. We yeah. checked 19 ages ago, and that's Marshall possibly lying. 293. You try and think all you know of Marshall's connections to the case and wonder how suspicious his actions appear to be. You wonder, dare I search his house to uncover further evidence? Search his house, 470, otherwise 560. We absolutely dare. I think we do dare. It is It is spooky. 470. He killed two men for uh, cheating in cards. So I mean, so he's going to kill a whole town if anyone breaks into his yeah. house. He called self-defense for when people cheated at cards. So I think a home invasion <laughs> may be grounds for a little bit of a, a little bit of a spanking. Mm -hmm. You wait until after supper to go to Marshall's house, hidden behind a tree across the street. You wait for him to leave. A little before seven, he goes off striding towards the heart of the city, probably on his way to the club. You casually cross the street and examine the house. It's set in its own lot, surrounded by a brick wall about six feet high. Ivy climbs the walls of the house, and you can see upstairs in the window on one side is open a crack. There's also windows leading into the basement from the back. If you try and climb to the open window, 287. If you want to try a basement window, 393. 
basement or open window up top i guess for this my thought would be like the, the surrounded by a brick wall six feet high we could be seen climbing in if we go up in the front oh uh it's set in its own lot i i would assume that either of these would still require us to get over the first wall yes but um the wall could cover us from the outside I see. I like it. Let's try the basement window. Good point. 393. You decide to open a basement window. Force open a basement window. Climbing in, the ivy seems too visible a way of entering the house. Someone might see you if you try that path. So you find one basement window along the back wall of the house. It's partially hidden by bushes, and it looks big enough for you to use. Silently, you try and open the window. Pick a number and add artifice. Needing an 8 and getting a 10. Thank God on this one. 227. Using a trick taught to you by Holmes. Oh, what a nice man that was. I wish he were alive. When you were still a Baker Street regular, you pry open the window. Certain that no one can see you, you slip through the opening into the basement and then latch the window behind you. Lighting a match, you look around. Pick a number and add observation. Needing an eight, getting a an eight on the dot. Seven plus one, 541. Ooh! In your perusal of the basement, a shelf in the corner strikes you as odd. You wonder if it hides anything. You're certain that Marshall wouldn't keep any important papers in the basement. Why? If you explore the shelf more closely, 164, otherwise 323. Obviously, we've got to go 164. Why are we certain of that? 164. I can only imagine some sort of logic of, oh, it would be kept in a desk or a safe or something like that, not, you know, where food is set by. Yeah. You strike another match and look at the shelf carefully. It swings like a door, and you see a tunnel leading off under the backyard, and you follow it to find that it comes out under a shed in the backyard. A door in the back of the shed leads directly onto the street behind the house. Check clue Y, turn to 323. Huh. He loves his tunnels and secret passageways. You climb the basement steps to the ground floor and look around. The rooms here are what you would expect. Parlor, dining room, sitting room, kitchen. None of them looks like a place where Marshall would keep his papers. A little nervous about your chances to escape, you go up to the next floor. There you find two bedrooms and a small study, which Marshall obviously uses as an office. You search it as expeditiously as possible to find nothing but the most ordinary sorts of letters and business papers. Oh my god, roll plus observation. Needing an eight, eight. getting a nine. <gasps> We're in. We're in. We're so in. We got the bad roll out of the way. 571. On the hot streak. You study the room again and convince yourself that there are no possible hiding places th that you've missed. Either Marshall is innocent or he's too careful to keep any incriminating records in his home. You sort through all the records you've examined looking for what you might have missed. Then you realize that while you saw a box of old checks, you didn't look at them all individually. Quickly, you pull the box out and leaf through on the checks one by one. Only one is of any interest. On January 1st, 1893, Marshall had written a check for 300 pounds payable to Sir Terence. Check clue Z. If you check clue W, 252. Did we? Was that the... We did. 252. That was the uh, fact that Marshall was in business with Sir Terence and, in fact, was paid back 3,000 pounds yeah. on the last day of that year. You think back on the other evidence you've seen, and you suddenly remember that Sir Terence repaid a loan of £3,000 to Marshall. The check shows that Marshall only loaned him 300 
After a little thought, you understand. Marshall provided Sir Terence with the money to promote his company. In return, Marshall received a major share of the illicit profits of the fraudulent scheme. Marshall and Sir Terence were actually partners. Check deduction 27 and turn to 348. Still, it's still not motive, though. No, but we have had a couple of people say, hmm, it might have been something that he was in business with, maybe? Yeah. So it lines up with stuff. It seems important, but it's not a motive. <laughs> Satisfied that you've examined everything necessary, you prepare to leave Marshall's house. You're a little too startled to realize that you've spent more than two hours here. The sooner you leave, the better. You look at the disarranged room and wonder if you should risk taking the time to tidy it. You'd have a good deal of explaining to do if you're caught in someone else's house. If you straighten up the home before you leave, 344, otherwise 365. This is spooky. We absolutely need to straighten up this room before we leave. Yep, 344. While you would not like Marshall to catch you in his house, you decide that it'd be worse to leave evidence of your visit. You carefully put everything away and straighten the furniture. You hurry downstairs, slip out the back door, and finally swing over the rear wall. As you get your feet under you, you hear the cab rattle in the front of the house and stop. You've left just in time. Turn to 560. I really thought that it was going to be like, oh, you're straightening all the things. He starts to arrive home. Did you find clue Y, the tunnel out to the shed, mm -hmm. out to the back? Yeah. Late in the evening, you go to Mycroft's room to explain the case. You've received a note from him asking that you wait until 11 to visit. A matter of importance has come up, and Mycroft's services were required. When he lets you in, you find that McDonald and Captain Locke hmm, are there before you. Both anxious to hear if you found the murderer at the urging of all three men, you carefully explain the evidence and you announce your conclusion. If you admit that you don't know who killed Sir Terence, 121. That's interesting. No book has offered that. Mm -hmm. If you accuse Watson, turn to 303. Earl of Waynesboro, 221. Accuse Marshall, 115. Symington, 432. Or if you accuse Chambers, the servant who found the body, turn to 553. <laughs> um, I don't think it's the Earl. I don't think it's Symington. I don't think it's Watson. I had not even considered Chambers, but maybe. Mm -hmm. I'm between... I do think it's Marshall. I, I think it's Marshall, but we... If I were to accuse somebody, I accuse Marshall. But I, yeah, I, I'm... The things I'm leaning between are admitting we don't know... Or accusing Marshall. Are you feeling... You're feeling confident enough in it being Marshall to go for it? Because I... Let's see I, if we can put together a reasoning here. So we know that Marshall was lying about yes. the order of things. We know that he was in business with Sir Terence. Uh, yes. We know that he paid 300 for the foundation of that area and then took 3000 out of it as a result of that loan. Uh, we also know that he was urging investment... In Sir Terence's properties. This mm. is from Deduction 13 a while ago. Uh, and obviously we now know for certain that they were direct partners in the business. Yeah. I'm happy to send it. <laughs> I'm happy to send it. Because it feels the most likely out of the ones offered. I wonder if he was trying to hide his involvement in that, like, if anyone looks into it, I want them to think it was just his thing, and then Sir Terence died about it, uh, <laughs> and you know, has motive of many other people who'd invested in Sir Terence's businesses that period of time. Yeah, like, maybe he was trying to get the money, and then, like, it was 
through illicit means, so he's trying to cover it up. Mm-hmm. That's like the that's the best lead I have out of any Same. thing. So I'm willing to pick him, but I do I think there's some stock in maybe the book is giving us the out like we didn't give you enough clues. We didn't give you the motive. Mm-hmm. And but I, I'm I'm happy to bullheaded accuse Marshall anyways on vibes alone. I think we well, absolutely should, yeah. I on much more than vibes. Also like the fact of lying in an investigation and yeah, I, we'll we'll do it. Also, multiple of these other characters have been uh, cleared. Uh, yeah, and... they've gotten hard clears. They, I've saw the med scan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I know it's not him. So if you say it's him again, I'm venting you. <laughs> and that's that's really. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing of why. Yeah, why I'm on Marshall. I guess. Yeah, the other one would be Chambers or whatever his name was, just because like he wasn't ruled out because I've never considered him. Mm-hmm. So. I guess 115. I believe that Christopher Marshall was the murderer. You tell the three men watching you. Marshall? McDonald asks in surprise. Oh, how can that be? He helped us in the investigation. He was one of the first men to insist that Watson was innocent and the evidence pointed straight at him. Patience, Mr. McDonald. Captain Locke says softly. Oh, good. Sherlock, I mean, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Captain Sherlock says softly. Surely the young man has proof for his charge, proof of motive, method, and opportunity. Almost anyone could have used that poker if he could have been in the billiard room at nine o'clock. Can you prove that Marshall might have been there and that he had the opportunity to kill Sir Terence? You think over the evidence. If you've checked clue M and O, 300, just O, 111, otherwise 117. M and O, that was that Marshall was lying and that he wasn't downstairs. Ooh, okay, 300. Locke listens to your explanation and then nods. That is sufficient proof, I think. He says. The man was not where he says he was. When a man with no alibi lies to you, it is clearly a suggestion that he may have been there to do it. And no one mentions his running into the billiard room. Could have hidden and mingled in with the others when they streamed in. Turn to 318. Now that we've covered method and opportunity. Locke says. We are left with one key factor. Motive. Why would Marshall wish to kill Sir Terence? If you've checked clue X or deduction 27, 313, clue E or deduction 8 and deduction 4, 254, otherwise 180. Do we have 27? We do not have clue X. We do not have clue E. We do have clue A. Deduction 8, rather, but not deduction 4. However, we do have deduction 27 that Marshall was partners with him in the case. I'm eager to hear how this is motive. <laughs> Locke listens carefully to your... Ex- Wait, 313. Yeah. Locke listens mm-hmm. carefully to your explanation, looks at Mycroft, and they both nod. Very good. Mycroft says... You've established a strong connection between Sir Terence and Mr. Marshall. A man might well kill to hide such behavior, especially with reports that Sir Terence was about to be investigated. Did we know that? Uh... If we did, I didn't remember it, because I guess that would... Neither. Because I did mention, like, yeah, you might... I did an illegal. I want to kill to cover up, mm-hmm. but yeah, I guess with the with an impending investigation, I guess that would have. I guess sure, yeah. If you've checked clue S, turn to three seventy two. Otherwise, one ninety five. Have we? Ooh, if we interpret that is uh, if you've checked clues, which we've done multiple of, <laughs> then uh, perfect. <laughs> but no, unfortunately, we have not checked clue S. I I feel like that sounds right. 
feels like it's the last like hurrah of motive that we were missing is my guess mm -hmm. Locke looks at you and mcdonald an intent look in his gray eyes you gentlemen must go and arrest marshall mcdonald you and our friend should go to marshall's house in the morning good hunting it is barely seven the next morning when mcdonald bangs on your door you're dressed and ready as you head west to marshall's home turn to 338 i hope that the thing we were missing was not oh actually uh he was not there <laughs> It was a, a fabrication. <laughs> like a... Okay. It never happened. Two growlers take you, McDonald, and the four constables to a street a block away from Marshall's house. Quickly, the inspector gives his instructions. More and Lee, he tells the two constables. Go to the front door and knock loudly, shouting for him to come out. He'll probably try to run out through the back. I'll be there with Andrews. Reynolds, he adds, pointing to the last constable. Take your station on the northeastern corner of the lot, and you can see if he somehow slips out the front or the east side. Now you, sir, he says to you, should watch the back and west mm. sides. Now, gentlemen, let us all carry out our duties well, and we will take this villain. I think that what's coming up next is, or I don't even know if this is what it is, but should have clued us in even more that maybe here's the bad guy is... If we didn't use the exit from mm -hmm. his house before, it's probably relevant in catching him. <laughs> yep. So if you check deduction 26, 198, why but not we 26? Didn't. Why but not 26, 492? We did. If you've checked so neither. Clue why was the tunnel to the shed to the outside? Okay. Cluey. 492. Hey, Mr. McDonald. You say quickly as he finishes his instructions. I should hasten to tell you there's a secret exit out of that house. It exits out of the shed and the back of the lot. You add. McDonald smiles. Good work, young man. He says. Then we shall have to change our plan. Moore and Lee will still knock on the front door. Andrews will take, by, back, uh, take the back by himself. And the rest of us will wait outside the shed. The plan works perfectly. A minute or two after the first knocks thunder against the front door, Marshal bolts out of the shed, straight into the arms of the burly Constable Reynolds. He's handcuffed without a struggle, and MacDonald sends him off to Cannon Row, accompanied by the constables. Mr. Holmes will be pleased, he says, smiling as he waves for a cab. Turn to 231. A hansom takes you and MacDonald to Paul Mall, and you quickly go up to Mycroft's rooms. He smiles when he opens his door. I could tell from your knock that you've captured the rogue, he says. Ah, congratulations. Come in and tell Captain Locke and me all about the pursuit. Mycroft has tea and a light meal prepared for you. He and Captain Locke listen carefully to the story of your pursuit. You bask in the glory of your success, but at the same time, you're already beginning to wonder what your next case will be. The end. Man, I wish Sherlock was here to see this. Mm-hmm. He'd be so proud of us. <laughs> yeah, the fact that Captain Locke is... He keeps on showing up and he keeps... He's keep inserting himself in this, too. It's so, mm -hmm. It makes it extra funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, we 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 did it. We got we there. We did it! We got this, there. This is a classic crime solve. Yeah. It's a classic crime solve. And the fact that we failed, which also makes the fact that we failed the Sherlock part even funnier. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, but it also fits into the, uh, you know, the canon of Sherlock Holmes being a master, like, you know, 
detective and things like he would know how to mm-hmm. have just just a good enough disguise to just, just not just barely not get caught but it does kind of seem like from the last time he was disguised on exiting the uh the blackmailer's house it does seem his disguise is very largely one big mustache that just seems to be a core <laughs> conceit of each of them oh i mean hey worked for us look. <laughs> uh I like this one. I thought it was good. I thought it was a, a nice, solid one. I thought it was just a... It was a big, juicy, interesting mystery. Mm-hmm. felt very classic. really liked I, the cast of characters a lot in this yes. as well. I liked the cast of characters a lot. I did not like the cipher. I thought it was... Yeah, no. Probably the laziest way to do a cipher. Mm-hmm. Or at the very least, like, it's it substitutes <sighs> cracking a code... Because cracking the code, you, you you rule it out due to, like, oh, that's too tedious. That's like, surely yeah, you're exactly. not going to make me count a hundred something. Because it's yeah. tedious. The tedium to cleverness ratio was skewed yes. a little on that side. 100%. But other than that, like, I'd say I enjoyed it quite a bit. I, I mm-hmm. thought there was a lot of fun little bits and bobs. The red herrings were interesting. And, like, it took us right up until the end to be like, okay, well, we feel like it's this guy, but that's not enough, you know? And mm-hmm. getting up to the end where we had to take the Hail Mary, you know, failing a lot of checks and then succeeding all the, you know, in the house. It's just, it, I don't know. It felt it felt tense and interesting. I liked it. I really did as well. It's possibly, I think, my favorite of them so far. I think that that's said, where I'm at. That said... Only so far, because we do have yeah. the other three that are in English to continue with. Yeah. Uh, but hey, uh, any other thoughts on the books before the thank you of our wonderful supporter of the episode? Not especially other than eagerness to get to the next yeah. ones. For the moment, though, special thanks to our executive producer for the episode, Katrina. Thank you kindly for supporting the podcast over on turn to page not turn to page cast dot patreon it's the other way around patreon.com slash turn to page cast at or above the hardcover tier much appreciated both to you katrina and each and every one of our patrons over there huge thank you for helping uh, keep this going it really does make a massive difference uh if you you know want to help the podcast in a free way we also have a youtube channel you could go subscribe over there like the videos that kind of stuff it's youtube.com slash at turn to page cast. Like I said, free way to do it. You can also review the podcast on wherever you listen to it. Um, additionally, this is not really like if, if you have anything you want to share with us and you don't want to do it in like the public YouTube comment area, we also have an email. You can send us an email at turn to page cast at gmail.com. If you have anything you want to get to us, like a recommendation, a suggestion, a, some fill in the blank, you can. Uh, pop an email over there. That's that. It's going to do it here for this week. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Adios.